What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this uh, midweek program here in the month of October. Got lots of jam-packed show here today. Uh, I'm going to recap week five in the National Football League from Tom Brady, you know, just... You run out of words how to describe how great he is, and with all the happenings that was that went on in Week Five in the National Football League, it's kind of you know hasn't gotten uh, as I'm not saying as much attention as it should because they did beat the crap out of the Dolphins, who look like are headed towards disaster. But getting the Tom Brady's magnificent performance that has kind of been overshadowed with, of course, John Gruden, who you bet your ass I will discuss later on in the program, the insanity that was the Bengals versus Packers game, the Browns-Chargers thrilling game uh, that ended in defeat for Cleveland. I'll get into that. Cardinals remain undefeated. The Bills walk into Arrowhead and punch the Chiefs in the mouth. And then, of course, the, the brilliancy and the magnificent comeback that the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson uh, constructed against Baltimore's old team in the Indianapolis Colts of Monday Night Football. All of that, with just within the NFL alone, has kind of overshadowed the fact that Tom Brady is getting better with age, which, at, which for the sport that he plays at the age that he's at is contradictory, but... But hey, I mean, it's just well, it's it's just unbelievable. But anyway, we begin with uh, you know why am I beginning with the Lions and the Vikings? Uh, I have no idea as to you know as this is going to be the first game to kick off here in our recap. But I mean, how about the poor Detroit Lions? They go out there and they give it everything they have. You know, they bust their hump. Defense pl- defense plays decent. Uh, you know, they let Alexander Matson run all over them, but, uh, you know, and Justin Jefferson had a hell of a game, but they only managed to, they only held the Vikings to 19 points, albeit with uh, their with their running and uh, passing attack being deadly on Sunday. It's just that the poor Detroit Lions just cannot catch a break. I mean, they are 0-5, they are 0-5 the only winless team in the NFC this season. They have started 0-5 for the first time since 2015. And I believe they are also the first team in NFL history to lose to 50-plus yard field goals twice within a three-, four-week period. Um, you know, And you got Dan Campbell crying in the postgame, which... which I understand and I feel his point and I feel his pain because you know you want it because you know you want to win you want to win championships and you want the players that you coach especially if you're a young first year head coach like Dan is and I you know I did not I I didn't scream and yell about it a lot during the off season when he first got hired I me personally I was not in favor of the hiring but I tell you if Dan Campbell stays the course and they put themselves in a situation to get a franchise quarterback because everybody and their mother knows that Jared Goff is not the long-term uh, answer for the uh, for the Detroit Lions. Just go, just go ask the uh, the uh, L.A. Rams. We all know Jared Goff is not the long. You know, he's a stopgap quarterback. He's not afraid. He's not going to be their franchise QB going forward. Uh, when this team comes time to be competitive again, if they if they will be on a year and year basis, because again these are the rebuilding since 1957 uh, D- Detroit Lions that have never been to a Super Bowl, 
But, you know, if if they stay the course and they draft well and uh, and Dan Campbell, you know, keeps his head on straight and doesn't screw up, the the, the Detroit Lions are going to be in good hands. You know, Owen, they, they're 0-5, tough, you know, tough. They had a t- outside of week one, and they showed a little bit of comeback in week one, but week one they were flat as a pancake for the majority of that game. By the time they finally woke up and tried to muster up some sort of comeback, it was too little too late against the 49ers. They they nearly, matter of fact, they you can make the argument that they should have won against the Ravens had, not, it, had it not been for the officials. Uh, Noticing the noticing the fact that the Ravens had to delay a game penalty, you know they came all so close within within beating Minnesota. I mean they I mean these have not out again outside of Week One where you know Week One was a little bit more of a domination where they didn't show up, but outside of Week One they have really 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 lost some tough, gut wrenching, heartbreaking football games what i mean it's typical lions fashion because that's how this franchise goes but you know they've played what they've played hard they've played well and they play and they've played until the clock hits triple zeros you know week two week two they gave the packers a little bit of a fit in the first half didn't show up in the second half but we, they could easily beat the ravens week three week four week four uh, again you know week four you know, when your center snaps the ball, golf's not paying attention. It deflects off the golf and into the hands of the Bears. And this is coming off a week, week, uh, the week before, heading into that Bears game where Matt Nagy didn't know which way was up, and he, you know, was absolutely clueless with handling the quarterback position. It should have won in week four. This this team should be two. And, this team should be uh, 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 should be two and three. You know, long the longest short the longest short of short of it is that this team should be two and three should have beat the Ravens and should have won on Sunday. If it not, it would have been for uh, miraculous long field goals to win the game in Week Five. And I tell you, I, I and again, I did not like and I did not like and I was not in favor of the Dan Campbell hire in the beginning. I didn't necessarily scream and yell about it, but you know, quietly I was like, I don't know about this guy, but. You know, I, I don't necessarily like my head coach bawling his eyes out in a week five of a regular season game. You know, the first year of his, uh, you know, first year as a head coach. I love I love the passion and I love the fact that he ha- puts his heart and soul. Because so he, so he can't sit up here and make the argument that they don't care because they care, which is a positive but I, you know, the, the the you know the coach crying, the coach. If it's a playoff game, yeah. If this was week fifteen rather than week five, where the season's been, where you know, where you're coming down the home stretch of the season, you still haven't won a game yet, and the and the frustrations of the entire season have kind of taken its toll and it's built and it's built upon you to the point where it's like carrying a piano on your back. I get it. I understand it. Young head, young head coach, first year head coach. Team stinks, you know. They, you know, it's you know, middle of December, holiday season. They still haven't won a game yet. I get, you know, I do. I'd be like, all right, well, okay. Now I'm not, I'm not going to poop poem and rag on him for crying because I understand why he's crying. I understand the emotion and the frustration and the and the sadness, you know, that comes with losing these, uh, you know, comes with losing on a week in week out basis. Especially two out of the last three games that they've played have been in heartbreaking fashion. You know, Ravens won. One week and then the Vikings, you know, two two weeks later the next. But you know, I you know I I prefer my head coaches, first year head coaches, to have a, you know to kind of 
not wear not necessarily wear his emotions on his sleeve in the post game and to kind of give you that that Belichick, that Belichick uh, Brian Flores, you know, show no emotion type of mentality. But I, but I, but I'm not gonna, but I'm not gonna kill him for it because I totally understand where he's coming from. Well, I mean, and if if it's tough on the fans watching watching their team lose on a week in week out basis, how do you imagine how hard it is on the coaches and the players? You know. Imagine how hard it is on them now, and now, and people were making the point. Well, and, and you know, the people uh, were making the point. Well, you know, you know, all's all's going to be that. Well, it's not that serious. He's still going to wake up with his, you know, with a paycheck in his bank account. That may be true, but when you're in the heat of battle and when you're in the heat of the moment, you know, you got, you know, your Dan Campbell's got the, you know, got the Lions shirt on, the Lions cap. And all of the and and you know the twenty two starters out there in uniform, you know, trying to win a game in front of uh, you know in front of a in front of a few million people on television and and uh, and about sixty plus thousand people in the stands. You're not think you're not thinking about a paycheck. You're thinking about winning this football game. You know, it, it, well, did Dan Campbell probably wake up Tuesday morning and be like, all right, well. You know that 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 check did clear in my bank account this morning, or you know Thursday, Friday, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A nice little consolation prize. After all, they do do this for a living. It's not like this is you know this is volunteer stuff we're doing here. But in the heat of the moment, and I and this isn't you know and this isn't me hearing anything from any ex NFL player, any ex NFL coach. This is just how I would. This is how I think, and this is how I would feel if I if I. At one point in time in my life, were an NFL coach or an NFL player. The last thing that I'd be thinking about if I'm putting myself in the lion shoes, last thing I'm thinking about while I'm in the heat, while I'm in the heat of the moment and in the heat of battle and in and you know in the game and in the game and in the moment, last thing I'm thinking about is a is a uh, is you know is the pay, is the paycheck that's coming that's going to be direct deposited into my account in the, in the next few days. While while I'm in a heat of moment, while I'm you know playing and being a part of the part of the game that I'm uh, that I'm participating in, competing in, I'm concerned with one thing and one thing only, and that's winning the game. So, so take that for what it's worth. But uh, Detroit, it seems to me they got a solid coach. If they stay the course, don't screw it up. The Lions, you know, should be a. Uh, you know, should be a, a, a decent football team to watch come 2024, 2025 or so. Uh, and getting to the point with Tom Brady, because that because that 44-year-old man just does not age. Uh, they beat the living crap out of the Dolphins 45-17. to 17. Brady, uh, you know, did your boy, did yours truly tremendous favors because he started him in fantasy this week. He was 30 of 41, threw for 411 passing yards, five touchdown passes, was absolutely magnificent in the game. Antonio Brown, Mike Evans have a day. Uh, seven receptions, 124 yards for Antonio Brown. Caught two touchdown passes in the game off of eight targets. Mike Evans, six receptions, 113 yards receiving. Caught two touchdowns as well. I mean, Tom Brady's 44 years of age, and he's getting better and better with every waking with every uh, with every year. I mean, it's just. A, I mean, he was flat as a pan. I mean, his performance was kind of, was eh. 
you know, did, did did just well enough to win the game against the Patriots the week before, you know, and he goes ahead and you know, plays the Dolphins, a team that a team that at times has gotten the best of Brady and then on the and then on the flip side of the coin Brady's gotten the best of the Dolphins and the you know the Dolphins come into Raymond James and the and the uh I believe that I believe that was the first could be wrong on this but I believe that was the first home one o'clock game the Buccaneers have played uh the Buccaneers have played this season. I could be wrong on that, but I don't think I am just for the sake of conversation. The Tampa game of course was a Thursday night. The Atlanta game was at uh the Atlanta game was at four. The their last two games were on the road. So yeah, that was their first uh su- that was their first uh one o'clock Sunday home game of the season against Miami and Brady just mopped the floor with him. Hurt his thumb, said his right thumb thumb is sore, but he should be fine. He came into the facility about uh today, early this week, uh with his thumb heavily wrapped up. You know, that's that's he, Brady's gonna be Brady's gonna be fine. Um, be interesting to see what the weather, what the, what the weather like is. Excuse me, uh, up in Philadelphia on Thursday night, they only they got a short week this week on the road going up against the Philadelphia Eagles. But uh, Brady, Brady does what Brady does. I mean, he is just he's great. I mean, if, if for lack of a better, I don't know how many, how many different ways I can say it. Tom Brady is a phenomenal quarterback. He just does not age, and any single time you know you think you've seen it all with Brady, he goes ahead and he and he does something. He blows his blows your mind even more. But because of the crazy, because of such a crazy week five, it was. So that's a crazy week five it was this week with the kickers missing kicks left and right. Cardinals undefeated. The Browns-Charger game was a doozy. The Chiefs fell flat on their face at Arrowhead on Sunday night. The Packers-Bengals game was absolute insanity. And then, of course, the Monday night game on Monday night. And, then of course, the news with Gruden. The you know the, the, the Brady five touchdown 400-plus passing yard performance against the Dolphins has kind of gotten lost in the NFL shuffle, but it takes some time to mention it here in this early segment. Um, and of course, I'm concerned with the, with the uh, Miami Dolphins because they're going backwards and backwards fast. They are one and four. It is a team that was supposed to build a build upon their ten and six. Of the, albeit they didn't miss the playoffs, but this is a team that was supposed to build upon their ten and six season from 2020, and they've just and you know, Tua Tua did get injured. I, albeit I get that, but this team has totally just fallen flat on its face, got shut out by Buffalo, uh, lost the game that they shouldn't when they made Vegas sweat in week three in overtime. Uh, Indian, and then, you know, they let a winless Indianapolis team come in there and absolutely uh, pound them into the grass, uh, losing 27-17, and then they get embarrassed for their, uh, in their second blowout loss of the season, uh, 45-17 against the Bucks. Uh, you know, and now they set themselves in a situation where they could drop the one and five and give the Jacksonville Jaguars their first win of 2021, as those two teams will play the 9:30 London game on Sunday afternoon. But I'm very concerned for the Dolphins. Their defense has regressed. Their quarterback play with and I'm not trying to make two out to be Dan Marino, but their quarterback play without Tua has significantly significantly regressed. 
Um, you know, they've been they have not been able to put points on the board outside. You know, the highest points that they've scored all season long was Week Three against the Raiders, uh, and they scored 28 points in that overtime loss. They scored 17 points in back-to-back weeks: 17 against Indianapolis, 17 against Tampa. Got shut out by Buffalo Week Two. Scored 17 points against Miami. I mean, everything's going wrong for the Miami Dolphins. And, you know, I sat up here on my soapbox and said before the season started that Brian Flores was going to get this team into the playoffs. That's looking rather bleak here as we head into uh, the sixth Sunday, the sixth weekend of the 2021 season. And, of course, the absolute insanity and just the craziness of that Bengals-Packers game. I mean, and I knew the Packers were going to win the game, but I did not anticipate it going like this and being as close as it was. I mean, my goodness. I mean, my goodness gracious, what a phenomenal football game. I mean, if you were not intrigued and not entertained with uh, Aaron, with the, it essentially was the Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and the Joe Burrow, uh, Jamar Chase show, if you call yourself a football fan and was not intrigued and was not entertained by that game, you know, you must you must not like sports or you must have an axe to grind against the Packers, the Bengals, Aaron Rodgers, Chase, Burrow, Devontae Adams are all of uh, what? Uh, six of those components I just named. Because that was a, you know, from objectively, not speaking as a Bengals fan, but speaking as a football fan objectively who, you know, has been watching, who's been a football fan and watching football for the better part of the last, what, 15 years or so, that was a riveting and intriguing. And it wasn't just the fact that people, that they were just missing kicks left and right. That game was fascinating and was intriguing from beginning to and Aaron Rodgers threw for two, 344 yards, two, threw two touchdowns, threw an interception, which you rarely see from him. Uh, which you really, which you rarely see from him. Credit that INT with uh, with a Wouzier who was back this week. I mean, just an absolute phenomenal job by him. But outside of that one mistake, Aaron Rodgers really played a phenomenal football game. Aaron Aaron Jones having absolutely phenomenal. Uh, 14 carries, 103 yards on the ground. And what can you say about Devontae Adams, who yours truly also had in his fantasy team, uh, had 11 receptions, 206 yards, and uh, caught a touchdown pass in the game. was just an absolute machine. The Bengals could not cover him all afternoon long. Their secondary is getting eaten alive by Devontae Adams, who absolutely killed him in the game. Killed him. I mean, whether it's again run with Lou Anarumo running the uh, running the, the the soft zone pack packages that uh, that came back that didn't come back, thank God. But uh, b- which uh, bit Cincinnati in the ass again, going up against Trevor Lawrence and uh, Jacksonville going on two weeks ago. It's just. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's it's. I mean, what what can you say about Devontae Adams? I mean, when you allow, I mean, and it's honestly a miracle that the Bengals were able to win this game because Aaron Jones ran the football phenomenally well, and the Bengals were one of the best defenses against the run heading into that game on Sunday. And of course, outside of one Aaron Rodgers mistake, and you know, twenty-seven to thirty-nine wasn't necessarily you know fantastic. Twelve incomplete passes in the game, and they did get the Aaron Rodgers twice. But still, I mean, when you allow Devontae Adams uh, to have an 11 reception, 206 yard, and one touchdown catch type of performance, you know, typically the opponent does not lose to the Packers by a mere three points. 
and and nor do they you know have and nor do they essentially are put an opportunity on not once but two occasions where they could have and should have won that football game. Why Matt Lafleur and I'm gonna uh, kill Zach Taylor in and uh, the Bengals in a minute here. But why Matt Lafleur once again takes the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands like he did in the championship game? Uh, against against the uh, Bucks when he decided to kick for the field goal late in the fourth quarter. Why he decided to take Aaron Rodgers off the field when the wind was whipping around like gangbusters inside of Paul Brown Stadium on Sunday in the latter parts of that football game in the f- late in the fourth quarter and throughout that overtime period. On top of the fact that Mason Crosby was literally, met, I mean, he was inventing new ways to miss field goals for crying out loud. He, I mean, uh, prior to that game-winning field goal, he could not kick a field goal if the fate of the universe depended on it. Why in the world does LaFleur decide to take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands on those third and third and fourth and shorts instead of putting the ball in your MVP's hands, your Super Bowl contender, and you got freaking Devontae Adams who had over who had over one hundred receiving yards in the first half alone. And Matt LaFleur, for whatever the reason, takes the ball out of Rodgers' hands because we got to see Mason Crosby miss, you know, his his second and his third field goal in a row. I mean, are you kidding me, Matt LaFleur? And this is and this is what and this is when this is why Aaron Rodgers gets knocked because you know because any other because any other quarterback you know Manning, uh, Manning, Brady especially. If they pull him off the field, Brady's going to be like, you know what, screw you. You know, it's third. We've had a hell of a game offensively. Adams has played his ass off. I've played my ass off. We're cutting up their secondary left and right. You know, it's a, it's a third and a fourth and a short, you know, in a, in a, uh, in a game that, I mean, it's an out of divisional game, but we can't afford to lose to the Cincinnati Bengals. We can't. We're riding a three-game win streak. We can't afford to lose to the Cincinnati Bengals. I am the, I am the defending NFL. MVP. We're Super Bowl contenders because of me and what this offense can do can do when I'm a part of it. Put the ball in my damn hands. I'm finishing this. And not not to mention that they had Aaron Jones run for 103 yards on 14 carries as well. So it wasn't like that the Green Bay offense, you know, was only flowing because Devontae Adams had a monster game. They ran the football tremendously on Sunday. Against a team that heading into uh, Sunday's game defends the run, one of the best teams in all of football when it comes to defending the run, and the Packers killed them on the ground, and the Packers killed them through the air. But because of the fact that the Packers def- that the Packers defense uh, is still very, 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 very suspect, and the fact that Matt Lafleur, for whatever the reason, has more confidence in Mason Crosby, who couldn't make a field goal off the fate of the universe depending on it, instead of his MVP quarterback Aaron Rodgers, is the is the is literally the sole reason why this game came down, why the Packers won this game by a field goal. Because typically, if if they run the ball as well as the as well as Aaron Jones did, outside of one first quarter mistake from Aaron Rodgers, he had a decent game. And Devontae Adams played his ass off, his best game of the season thus far. The Packers should not have won this game by three points. Going off of strictly of what Devontae Adams did and the fact they were able to run the ball well, if you didn't see the game, you'd be like, oh, the Packers must have beat the Bengals by a minimum of three touchdowns. 
But he didn't because the defense, once again, is very, very, very suspect. And why in the world LaFleur takes the, takes the ball out of Rodgers' hands on those third and fourth and shorts in overtime, I have absolutely no idea. Put the ball in Rodgers' hands and let him win you the football game. Just dumb, you know. And I'm and I'm I'm standing there watching a game, and I, and I, you know, and I don't, and I I'm a proponent of you know not 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 speaking things into existence or 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 saying something out loud and jinxing it, you know. And when it comes to me like trying to predict predict the game while it's going on, what's going to happen next? But I'm standing there watching the game, and I and my vo- and I'm saying to myself inside my head, I said, Devontae, I said, Aaron Rodgers is going to throw a nice, it's going to throw a nice, uh, throw a nice pass down the sideline. Devontae Adams is going to is either going to take advantage of that soft weak zone, it's going to beat his man on man to man coverage. He's going to catch this ball and walk into the end zone, and the Packers are going to win this game. And every single Packers possession from essentially from from by the time from McPherson's missed field goal at the end of the fourth quarter and all throughout that overtime I'm saying to myself Devontae Adams is getting this football Devontae Adams is getting this football and he's going to win this game for you because he absolutely killed the Bengals all day long and if you would have told me in the moment and if you would have told me in the moment Packers win this game, but Devont, but Devonte Adams essentially, you know, he he didn't he wasn't you know he didn't have a, a huge catch to keep a drive alive, or he didn't score the game winning touchdown. I would have looked at your cross side. Would have looked at your cross side, and give Randall Cobb credit. He had that clutch catch on that third and long, which set which uh, which uh, kept the Packers alive in that and uh, kept them alive in the game in the overtime. But it's like, give the ball to your best player. It's not rocket science. Instead of sitting there trying to be cute and force-feed Mason Crosby to kick the field goals. It wasn't working, Matt. And Zach Taylor, same thing with you. Why in the world, you know, let the... Stop trying to be cute. Stop trying to be cute. And, and and sitting on the gifts, and they were gifts because the Packers deserved the win. This game should have never went to overtime. The Packers deserved to win this game, and just as opposite, the Bengals deserved to win it because of the fact that the Packers kept on giving the Bengals game, and the Bengals kept giving the Packers the ba- this uh, kept giving the Packers the game in return. And instead of simply trying to be cute. And instead of taking the pa- and taking advantage of the Packers' piss poor mistakes in the game, instead of doing that and putting the the stake through them, which you do, which which is which is what every inferior team going up against a superstar, the Super Bowl contending team should do: the Ravens, the Chiefs. Any team Tom Brady's on, whether it be the Bucks or the Patriots back in the day, you got to put the stake through them. To finish them, to beat them, especially if they give you an opportunity for you to put the stake through them. Chiefs gave the Ravens an opportunity to put the stake through them to beat them. Ravens took advantage of it. Packers, same thing. 
Missed field goals from Crosby left and right. Defense made a couple of stops when they needed it. And rather than Taylor taking advantage of the great field position that they that that, that was literally given to him and saying, hey, Jamar Chase caught six passes for 159 yards in a game. You gonna give him the ball? Tyler Boyd was was awful quiet in the game. If everybody's expecting Chase to get the ball, get, give it to Tyler Boyd. Give it to your weak. Uh, give it to your weak four hero against the Jaguars and C.J. Uzama. Instead of instead of sitting on the lead, playing conservative with it, and and essentially just sitting on the gift that the Packers gave you that was excellent field position. Put the ball in Burrow's hands and have him and have him score a touchdown. You know, be, be as as the Bucks like to say, no risk it, no biscuit. Take some chances. You got the offense and you got the skill set to do it. But both teams, you got the quarterback play and you have the super and you have the superstar wide receiver the boot. Put the ball in your best player's hands, that is your quarterbacks, and take advantage of the fact that Devontae Adams and Jamar Chase exploded receiving-wise in this game. Take advantage of it and make the opposite secondaries stop you from doing so. To hell with kicking the uh, you know the long game-winning field goals because because you guys because Lafleur and Taylor think that they have uh, Justin Tucker on their sidelines because they don't. Put the ball in your quarterback's hands and go for the gusto and put the stake through each other by scoring a touchdown in that damn game. Instead of trying to be cute, playing conservative, playing for the, playing for the field goal, where you knew good and well that the field that the field goals wasn't going to win you the football game. Now, luckily, it, it did for Crosby, four times the charm, but still. Devontae Adams should have won that game for Green Bay. Put the stake through him. Finish him. Finish him. And I say it all and I say it all the time. You know, I hate, I hate ties in football. But if there was ever a game that deserved to end in a tie, it was this one. Because both teams did not deserve to win the football game. Didn't. I mean, think about it for a minute. One fifteen to go for the Packers. Missed field goal. Bengals get the ball back. Missed field goal. Packers. Three straight missed field goals. Bengals throw an interception. In the overtime... Crosby again, third straight missed field goal. Bengals get the ball, put them on the end zone. Nah, we'll have Evan McPherson attempt a long field goal against the wind, and the ball will, will veer to the left and hit the flag on the top of the goal post. Missed field goal. There was only so many opportunities and chances you were going to get to win the football game. You had good, good teams. And the Bengals have been better than they have been last year. And I did not expect the Cincinnati for them to run the table and go 16-1. and And I and this team is not a Super Bowl contender. And in my eyes, I don't think not at this moment in time they're a playoff contender yet. And they've played good the first month and a week into the new season. But the good teams, 
the championship football teams take advantage of their opponents' misfortunes and mistakes. And when the opportunity is there for them to finish off their opponent and win games, whether they, whether they be the underdog or the favorite, the good teams, the Super Bowl contending teams, the playoff contending teams, finish the job and win the damn game. And championship level coaches put their team in a best position to win the game. Matt LaFleur, that's you. Zach Taylor, that's you. Third and fourth and short, you guys should not be playing for the long field goals. You got two dynamic, outstanding quarterbacks. One of them is a sure doubt lock into Canton. And the other one, if all goes well and he wins a couple of Super Bowls, will be in Canton right behind him. They got two receivers that are arguably top 10, top 5 best receivers in football in Jamar Chase and Devontae Adams, who had monster games today. Instead of trying to be cute and, 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 and pissing away the good field position that you were blessed with time and time and time again playing for the long field goal, put the stake through your opponent and win the game scoring a touchdown. Drove me nuts. Drove me frickin' nuts. Hell of a game. But I, I tell you, it, it was not. This wasn't. This wasn't exactly a coaching clinic from uh, Vince Lombardi and Paul Brown. That's for sure. Zach Taylor is far from Paul Brown, and Matt Lafleur is. A long miles away from a Vince Lombardi. Taking the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hand again. Plan, plan, plan for the damn field goal. He might get, a, he got away with it against the Bengals. But I'd tell you something right now. The Packers, the Packers got to play Cleveland. They got and they gotta play uh, Baltimore. You do that against those two teams, you're going home with a loss. Say it again. You do it against Cleveland and the Ravens, you lose the game. You're lucky that the Bengals are not quote unquote there yet as a contending football team. As far as Super Bowl contending football team, because it's because you do uh, you do it against Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills, you're not winning the football game. Do it against Mahomes, do it against the Ravens, do it against the Packers, you're not winning the game. How many times yet? How many times you're going to keep on doing the same thing, Lafleur, and expecting different results? Got Aaron Rodgers, use him. She wins. Speaking of the Browns. And an absolute thriller that they played against the uh, L.A. Chargers on Sunday. 47-42 to 42 in the game. I mean, just an absolute job by... Jo I, mean, the L I mean, the L.A. Chargers are just something special this season. Something special. 
Um, but I had a couple of notes here that I wanted to get to. Uh, with the and I tell you, and just the wrap a bow on the Packers. Any single time these two teams play, it's always a doozy. You know, just the the series between these two teams are is at seven or tied at seven seven at, at the result of uh, the game on the twenty first. The last two times these two teams have played, it went into overtime, and they and since and since their meeting on September twentieth of ninety eight. That's one, two, three, four, five, six times. Their last six meetings between the Bengals and the Packers have have been decided by a touchdown or less, which is interesting. And I sure hope that Aaron Rodgers stays a Packer for the next few years or so because... because nothing would make my heart happier just as a football fan than to see the Bengals and Packers go up against each other in a Super Bowl because I swear to you every single time those two teams play up play play up against each other it's a phenomenal fantastic football game I know about you but I I would love to see a Burrow versus Rodgers Super Bowl with Devontae Adams and Jamar Chase the supporting cast oh oh what oh my goodness oh if only, if only the Bengals were a Super Bowl contender this year. Oh, I, I would, root, I would root for a Bengal Packers Super Bowl in L.A. so fast. Oh my goodness gracious! Burrow also joined Dan Marino as the only second-year quarterbacks with two passing touchdowns in each of their team's first five games of the season, the Super Bowl era. Uh, do I have anything else from the game? Brady. 25th touchdown passing touch, 25th career passing touchdown of over 60 yards or more. Tied with Dan Marino. That's ninth most in the league. He threw for 400 yards and five touchdowns for the first time in his career, which is hard to believe for Brady. Um, and I got some other notes, some other games I'm gonna get to uh, later on. But like I, like I was going on, like I was uh, going down the rabbit hole before I got sidetracked. The Browns lost an absolute thriller uh, in overtime. A combined. The scoring in the fourth quarter was just absolute insanity. The combined points scored in the fourth quarter by both teams was 41. The Chargers outscored the Browns in the fourth quarter, 26 to 15. That's by it. I mean, they, they had a they had they had a full 60 minute game within one quarter. Both teams scored 41 points just in the fourth quarter alone. Chargers outscoring the, the uh, Browns in the fourth quarter, 26 15. Uh, R.I.P. If you bet the under for this game, that, that I can tell you. Uh, um, the, I mean Herbert. I mean one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, Twenty-six for forty-three, threw for three hundred and ninety-eight passing yards, four touchdowns in the game. Uh, Williams, a phenomenal receiving performance from him. Eight receptions, one hundred and sixty-five yards, caught two touchdowns in the game. Then David Njoku, seven receptions, one hundred and forty-nine yards. Caught a touchdown pass in the game. Nick Chubb, what a phenomenal day he had. Hunt and Chubb, the best two one, the best one-two punch at the running back position in the league. They combined between the two of them, ran for two touchdowns in the game. Nick Chubb though was the leading rusher as far as yards is concerned, 161 yards on the ground. Baker Mayfield, who everybody is killing, I don't know why, especially when he's playing, going out there with a bad shoulder against a against a great football team. He goes out there, 23 or 32 throw for. 
throws, throws for 305 passing yards and two touchdowns in the game. An absolute phenomenal job uh, by Cleveland. They fell short. Um, it was funny because the Brent, because the Brent, because uh, the Chargers accidentally, quote unquote, scored on their final possession in the fourth quarter, and they didn't even try to. The Browns uh, pushed. I believe it was Eckler that uh, that ran the ball uh, at the end on the Chargers' last possession in the game, and he and they and the Browns defenders pushed him into the end zone because they figured out oh, this has been a back and forth fourth quarter game all throughout this entire period. You know they made let's make let's have them make the mistake by scoring so we go down the so we go down the field you know de- uh should have been down uh should have been down uh six instead they were down five with the Chargers missing the extra point we'll go down the field score a touchdown and win this football game tie it up you know tie it up with a two point conversion thinking that the Chargers going to miss or excuse me make the extra point there at the end but <coughs> excuse me. But that ended up being for naught as the Browns could, <coughs> excuse me, uh, assemble the game-winning drive when their final possession of the game. That was a phenomenal game. Who also wouldn't sign up for uh, Browns Chargers in the playoffs uh, in January as well? The thing that the thing that would concern you though is that uh, if the game is in Cleveland, the Browns have the advantage. With the Chargers being the West Coast LA team having to fly eastward, uh, playing a playoff game in January in that frigid, cold temperatures of Cleveland, Ohio, sitting on sitting on uh, Lake Erie, which would you know, which is a, a tremendous, tremendous factor uh, if those two teams meet later down the road. Cardinals remain undefeated. Um, uh, as they improved the five and zero on the season, winning uh, by the final score of seventeen to ten. Their defense had an absolutely phenomenal game. Trey Lance, who uh, Shanahan, you know Shanahan walks around who thinks he's the second coming of Bill Walsh, uh, goes out there and Lance stunk in the game, absolutely stunk. Fifteen for twenty nine, one hundred ninety two yards through a through an interception. In the game he did absolutely nothing in the game. Didn't you know? Didn't blow me away as far as it didn't blow me away running the football. In my honest opinion, um, it was, it was should, should, and he's he got a knee injury, so he's questionable for their matchup uh, coming up on Sunday for San Francisco. And this ought to teach uh, Shanahan a lesson. This same guy you know was willing to trade up in the draft and was willing to cut bait with Jimmy Garoppolo way too premature in my estimation, in my eyes. To run the Trey Lance, who did absolutely nothing but vomit all over himself in his first uh, ever NFL start, and did nothing, nothing in the game offensively to uh, contribute and to muster up any any kind of offense for the 49ers going up against the Cardinals. They uh, are the only team in the NFL. They state they remain the only team in the NFL undefeated, 17-10. Kyle Murray did not blow me away with the phenomenal offensive performance. My, my One of my uh, two fantasy uh, teams suffered because of it, but the Cardinals' defense did, uh, f- did a phenomenal job uh, not allowing a, a touchdown they didn't, didn't not allowing a touchdown to the third quarter, and the, on the only scoring that the Forty ers did was in the second half, kick, uh, scoring a touchdown in the third, and kicking a field goal in the fourth. As that game was uh, won by Cliff Kingsbury, who outcoached uh, Shanahan 
and uh, their phenomenal defense, who did a fantastic job as the Cardinals remain undefeated in the NFC. Um, and then, of course, the Buffalo Bills, who absolutely stomped all over the Kansas City Chiefs, who stink. Um, their defense, I mean, saying that their defense is bad is just is an understatement. Murray, by the way, second quarterback in the Super Bowl era to go 5-0 and with a 75% completion percentage or better and throwing for 1,500 passing yards in his first five games of the season. The only, the only other quarterback to do that was Peyton Manning in 2013, who ended up winning the MVP. NFL, he had the NFL record uh, for uh, 5,477 passing yards, 55 touchdown passes that season, and the Broncos ended up getting their heads bashed in by the Seattle Seahawks in Super Bowl 48. And then, of course, the Chiefs were just absolutely put their defense. I mean, my goodness gracious. I mean, and all, and it's funny because all I heard, all I heard, uh, you know, the week before leading up to the Super Bowl, all I heard about was uh, you know Spagnuolo was going to come up with a tremendous game plan like he did when he was the when he was the man in charge, um, like he was the man in charge for the Giants heading into Super Bowl uh, forty two against the Patriots. That's all I all I ever heard about was uh, Steve Spagnuolo this Spagnuolo that. Well, ever since the Super Bowl, his defense has completely imploded. Defense was pathetic against the uh, Bucks, of course, giving up thirty one points in that game. Uh, gave up 31 points in the Super Bowl, gave up 29 against Cleveland, a game that they were very, very, if it wasn't for a, for a botched snap, the Chiefs would have lost that game. Uh, gave up 36 to the Ravens, blowing a double-digit lead to them in Week 2. Gave up 30 points to, uh, gave up 30 points to, um... The Chargers, they let uh, they let Jalen Hurts in the in the Philadelphia Eagle offense go nuts against them. In week four gave up thirty points, and then against Buffalo they gave up thirty eight. Five straight games, six if you want to if you want to include the Super Bowl in which they in which their defense, which is so overrated, is mind boggling. You know, while well, Frank Clark, Chris, nonsense. His defense stinks. From their second, from their secondary to the, it's just oh, it's so bad. Uh, six straight games they've allowed twenty nine points or more to begin the season. First five games of the season getting up twenty nine points or more. That's the tied for the longest start to a season in NFL history. Their defense is just absolutely horrendous. Mahomes, Mahomes didn't do him any favors either because that defense likes to think and has an attitude. Well, as long as we got Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill, we'll be fine. Not so if Mahomes is going to turn over the football ad infinitum through two interceptions in the game, one of them being a pick six, the second pick six that Mahomes has thrown in his young career. Um, his uh, and the last one he threw was Samson in Beckwiam, the pick six in the week 11 game of 2018 in that uh, famous 54 51 Rams Chiefs Monday night game the Monday before uh, Thanksgiving, arguably considered by many the greatest Monday night football game slash regular season game of all time. But again, the defense walks around with the mindset, you know, that we can do no wrong, that our margin for error is infinite because we got number 15 as our quarterback. Au contraire. Not when Mahomes turns over the football twice, um, you know, and threw a pick six, so, you know, cost you seven points. You know, you couldn't run, you couldn't run the ball. Uh, you know, when Mahomes is your leading rusher, you got issues. They could not run the ball under any circumstances. Now Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to miss some time with a knee injury. 
McCall um, Hardman, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey did nothing in the game. Uh, they put the ball on the on the ground twice. Mahomes uh, f- lost the fumble. Pringle lost the fumble. So you turn over the football four times in the game. On top of the fact that your defense has absolutely imploded since the Super Bowl, that is a recipe for disaster. The Chiefs are once again below 500, 2 and 3. They're 1 and 2 at Arrowhead this season. And this is with an hour rain delay they had at halftime with thunderstorms running through Kansas City. And they, and they had all that time to prepare and get their minds right for the second half. And they didn't do a damn thing in the second half, scoring only seven points in the second half and those seven points were in the fourth quarter. I mean, it's just an absolutely phenomenal job by the Chiefs who are just absolutely imploded. Are they dead? No, because they do ha- because they do have Mahomes and when you have Mahomes, you can never count them out until until uh until, you know, until their season is in fact indeed over. But it's panic time in Kansas City. They're back below 500, you know, two teams that they that they were the uh, Kings over heading into this season in the Ravens and the Bills. They play them on Sunday Night Football. The Ravens in Baltimore, uh, the site where they beat the crap out of uh, the site in which the Chiefs absolutely kicked the Ravens' ass back in September of 2020. The same time next year, they go and play Baltimore Week 2. They blow a lead and they get embarrassed by Baltimore and Lamar Jackson has the game of his life. We'll get to him coming up after the break. And then, of course, the Bills, who the Chiefs dominated in a championship game back in January, they come back to the scene of the crime on Sunday night at Arrowhead and they get absolutely destroyed by the Buffalo defense, which looks like it's going to be the real deal this this season. And they allow Josh Allen to go nuts throwing for 315 passing yards, three touchdowns in a game, did not get touched. The Ch- Again, the defense, I don't know how many I don't know how many different ways I can explain to you that the Chiefs defense thinks. Could not generate a pass rush whatsoever and and knocks the tight end, killed him three receptions, 117 yards on the day. Uh, Stephon Diggs, uh, you know, it was the it was the Knox show. Diggs and Sanders and Beasley didn't even destroy uh, didn't even really destroy Kansas City's defense. It was Knox, the tight end, who absolutely killed him. Um, but you know, but Kansas City, they're in a, they're in trouble. Defense not good. Can't generate a pass rush. They're getting picked apart. Their secondary is the equivalent of Swiss cheese. They're turn over the foot. Some that and I tweeted out during the game. Turn turn over the football went from something that the Chiefs you know did once in a blue moon to something that's now become. Something that's now become a uh, a habit of theirs. They've turned over the ball consecutively. I believe it's either been it's either four or five. I believe it's four games in a row in which the Chiefs have managed to turn over the football offensively. And whether you have Patrick Mahomes, your quarterback, or Drew Locke, you're not going to win football games turning over the football ad infinitum. Especially if your quarterback turns over the football three times in a game. Turns it over twice with two interceptions. Fumbles the ball. One of the interceptions being a pick six. Pringles fumbling the football. Alaire in the Raven game fumbling the ball. I mean, we're fumbling the ball all over the place with Kansas City. Mahomes is getting reckless. Can't protect the ball. He's fumbling left and right. Throwing careless bonehead ass line interceptions. Gave Buffalo a free touchdown with the pick six. I mean, the Chiefs are impl- absolutely imploding. Uh, imploding. 
on themselves and they're in a heap of trouble especially when it looks like that the Chargers are clicking on all cylinders they you know and they and they got the tiebreaker and they got the tiebreaker scenario if they if it comes down to seeding or the division with the Chargers they've lost the game already to the Chargers and they've lost their first of two games to the Chargers this that one being at Arrowhead back in week 3 you know and the, if it ever comes down to tiebreakers with the with the Ravens and the Bills they've lost those uh, you know and it does get I mean they get they get a little bit of a break going up against Washington this week and they got Tennessee in between the Giants so they get a break so they're going to get you know win number 3 and win number 4 uh, come uh, you know, come uh, the second Sunday of the month of November. Uh, but it's no, but it's no cakewalk. Outside of playing Washington and playing the Giants, they get Tennessee on the road, Green Bay at home on the seventh of November, Vegas. Who you know, who knows what that? Who knows what they're going to look like come November fourteenth. Uh, we'll get to that uh, towards the latter parts of the program. Dallas was one of the best teams in the NFC, definitely the best team in the NFC East. That game is not that game is not going to be easy pickings. Um, then of course, and then you know Denver, okay, Vegas, you know who knows? Then the Chargers again. The Steelers will be dead. Will be a dead caucus, so that'll be easy pickings. Bengals, who knows, on the second of January, and then they close that season against Denver. So they could lose. So Kansas City could honestly, um, you know, let, they'll give them for the sake of conversation. They'll go three and three, three and four, f- uh, four and four, four and five, uh, five and five. Uh, Five and six, seven and six, eight and six, uh, eight and seven, ten and seven. Uh, they, you know, they, I mean, this is this is a team that could, that could go ten that could go ten and seven or twelve and five, be, or or nine and eight. Worst case scenario, uh, they, they go nine and eight, ten and seven, or eleven or uh, eleven and six. You take you take your pick, but. Kansas City is in a heap of trouble, and I'd be very concerned for Kansas City going forward. And of course, with Buffalo, you know, I was very skeptical about their defense because they went up against weak offenses the first four weeks of the season, shutting down Kansas City and forcing them to turn over the football four times. It's about damn time we started waking up and paying attention, not just to the performance of Josh Allen, but the performance of the of the Buffalo Bills defense, which is which has played its heart out the first five weeks of the season. The MVP can. Candidates uh, through the first five weeks: Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. We'll get to his performance in the Ravens' comeback right after this.
Welcome back to the Amitelica TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the absolutely phenomenal and magnificent performance that Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens put on on Monday night. And a come-from-behind victory, 35-21. Ravens score 22 unanswered points um, to beat the Colts in their uh, second overtime game of the season. Ironically enough, it's their second Monday Night Football game of the season. And and, they're, uh, and they end up beating the team they used to call Baltimore home in the Colts, 31-25. Lamar Jackson... I mean, what an absolute phenomenal performance. And I tell you something right now. Okay, I don't, uh, this is for everybody out there, you know who you are, that sit up there on your soapbox and say, oh, Lamar Jackson, he's not a good thrower of the football. He's inaccurate. You know, he can't, you know, he doesn't throw an absolute perfect spiral. You know, he's no Patrick Mahomes when it comes to his skill set. You know, you can't, you can't win with him. He's this, he's that and the other. Can we shut up and, 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 and stop all this bull crap? Because what I saw and what I've seen all season long is that Lamar Jackson now now well, am I prepared to eat Raven no pun intended if the if God if God forbid they lay an egg in the playoffs then I will I be prepared to say you know what he's done this the regular season playoffs not so much okay fine I get that but until that moment but until that moment happens Lamar Jackson is the real deal and deserves his respect okay and it's not like that Lamar now granted he was the team's leading rusher they could not run the football excellent uh, against Indianapolis they did a tremendous job stopping the run they did not let uh, Tyson Williams and Devon to Freeman and 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 Murray go crazy on him. I get that. And Lamar Jackson, like I said, was the Ravens' leading rusher. But it wasn't like Lamar Jackson, you know, on twenty carries ran for a, ran for a buckle five and two touchdowns. He 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 ran the football because he's because he's still great at, at doing that. And that's one and that's one of the reasons why he's one of the more electrifying, dynamic quarterbacks this league has to offer. But he won this game. With his arm, something that a lot of the people out there and the naysayers, the haters, and the and the uh, critics and the criticizers have gone out there and said, like Lamar Jackson, yeah, he's great running the football, this, that, and the other, but can he win a football game, especially when his team is down? Because the way the Ravens' offense is set up, it's not set up for them to win games playing playing with playing uh in a you know dealing and playing with a deficit playing from behind that's not how to rate that's how the raven style of offense it doesn't work well when you have to play from a deficit you have to make some plays with your arm to put some points on the board move the ball downfield with the chunk plays and get yourself in a position where you can make the where you can uh where you can cut down that deficit and and uh and end up catching your opponent so you can win the game in the second half of uh football games but he had an absolutely phenomenal job 37 to 43 442 passing yards that what that's not total yards one more that's 442 passing yards four touchdowns zero interceptions did have the fumble at the goal line which looking at it I'm still not sure whether or not it was a fumble 
because it looked like to me in my eyes, from my perspective, that he somewhat had control of the football, you know, when his knee was down at the goal line. And if the Colts ended up scoring on that play, the Ravens would have been would have been dead would have been dead man walking, dead fish in the water, but it didn't end up count it didn't end up counting as a touchdown to the Ravens benefit. But and he like and he did turn over the football, which is a negative. But but for the but he didn't he didn't bonehead ass sign interception you didn't see threw the ball tremendously well uh, Mark Andrews you know the guy that, one of the highest paid tight ends in the NFL eleven receptions one hundred and forty seven yards receiving caught two touchdown passes in the game Hollywood Brown looks like his back and has escaped whatever demons he was dealing with in the uh, in the uh, Lion game the two weeks prior he had a nine reception one hundred twenty five yard receiving. Two touchdown catch performance on Monday night, an absolutely phenomenal job, and uh, you know, and it's no reason, it's no secret, and it should be to no surprise of anybody of why Lamar Jackson and Tom Brady, for that matter, who had historical, enormous uh, days throwing the football, Brady against the uh, the Dolphins in his in his game on Sunday, and then of course Lamar Jackson against the Colts on Monday night. No reason, no surprise, and. And no, you know, they 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 deserve Lamar and Brady both deserve the the uh, AFC and NFC Offensive Players of the Week for their phenomenal performance. And Lamar Jackson, it was a it was a performance very much like the uh, very much against how he played against Kansas City in Week Two. Had a sloppy first half. The team was lethargic. I mean, it, I mean, watching that game, and I even tweeted as long as it was like in the moments of that football game when I was watching the 2019 Ravens from the uh, Titan playoff game two years ago all over again. They were as flat as a pancake, you know, dull, lacking energy. That pep, that pizzazz, that swagger that they normally play with. That's that yeah, that kind of puts a little chip on the shoulder. That 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 puts them that gives a little bit more oomph when they go out there and play. On a week-in, week-out basis, they didn't have in the first half, flat as a pancake, Lamar wasn't fantastic, 8 of 11, throwing for 107 passing yards, and then he turns around in the second half and in the overtime, only has two, no wait, check that, three incomplete passes the entire second half, 28 of 31, threw for 331 pass yards and three touchdowns. He had a great, he had a, y'all don't understand me, he had a great football game, Especially, you know, more and putting more emphasis passing wise, he had a great football game just in the second half alone. Twenty eight of thirty one, three thirty one, three touchdowns. That's a great game. If you, that's a great game. If you threw out what he did in the first half, that's still a phenomenal performance. And he goes out there, and he, and he, you know, and he, like he, like he did in the chief, like he did in the chief game, like he tried to do in week one against Vegas. He put, he said, "To hell with it. I'm gonna put this team. I'm gonna put y'all on my back, and I single-handedly will take over this game like a point guard in a, in a, in a, in a NCAA tournament game or in a do or die elimination NBA playoff game. Take over the game and do whatever I can possibly can to make sure that when the clock hits." triple zeros at the end of the fourth quarter or in this case in the overtime period that we are going to win this game and it just speaks to the fact that Lamar Jackson has it he has it he has that he has that all-time great Canton Hall of Fame worthy type 
intangible where it's it's go time now all bets are off I'm not losing this football game and I am going to do whatever I can that's possible for my for my football team to win this football game I don't care what I have to do how long I have to be on the field and what plays I have to run I'm winning this game and that is what the and that is what the all-time greats possess you know, you heard, you heard, you heard, uh, you know, you hear Burroughs' teammates on the Bengals talk about it. You heard the Packers give him much praise. How Joe, how Joe Burrow has, has, has that in him. He has that Montana slash Brady, I'm going to take over and win this football game mentality. Lamar Jackson has, this, has the same, has the exact same quality and has the exact same straight, uh, trait. Excuse me. Now, our Bur- now is Burrow and, and Lamar Jackson's, their actual skill sets, the, the, you know, the same and equal? No, obviously not. But they, bo- but they both have that dog inside of them that, 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 that lights a little spark that they and their team feeds off of when it's time for them to take over a football game and when it's time for them to put their team over the top. Burrow has it with the Bengals and Lamar Jackson has it with the Ravens. That that Tom Brady-esque, Joe Montana-esque mentality of the light switch is turned on, the fire has been lit underneath me, let's go out here and win this football game. And when and when those players, the Montanas, the Bradys, the Burrows, the, the, uh, the Lamar Jacksons, when they have that and when that goes off inside of them, their entire football team attracts to them and they feed off of that energy. They feed off of it. Prime example, the Ravens defense, which was running like chickens with their heads cut off in the, especially in the first half, allowing you know they allowed us allowing uh, ten points and ten points in the first half and allowed twelve points in, in the in the third quarter. Prime example, thir- uh, fourth quarter, Ravens allowed only three points from Indianapolis, and Calais Campbell, one of the best defensive players in the sport, with a clutch block punt. Why? The energy and the intangibles that Lamar Jackson brings when that light switch goes off. The all-time great quarterbacks have that. That's why Brady has won seven Super Bowls. That's why Burrow has a national championship. That's why Lamar Jackson has a Heisman Trophy and has an MVP. Now I haven't now I haven't seen that trait from Lamar until this year. Which goes back to and I said it after the Chief game and I'll say it again, of how it might have been a blessing in disguise that Edwards and Dobbins went down. Because it forced Lamar Jackson to mature as a team leader and it forced him to not not necessarily in a negative in a negative connotation but not necessarily rely on his teammates but rely on himself and his own ability and know how great he is and know that when the chips are down he's got to be the one as the team's franchise quarterback and as this team's uh most popular uh player amongst the fan base and across the country within the NFL realm 
that he has to be the one that gets it done. That gets it done for the franchise. Not Gus Edwards. Not J.K. Dobbins. Not Mark Ingram, who's down in Houston. Lamar. And I said it then. I said at the time, and I'll say it again. That probably is going to be a blessing in disguise for the Ravens. That Dobbins and Edwards went out prior to the season started. And I wish I had a crystal ball in front of me. But if you would, but if you told me in mid-October that the Ravens would be in an AFC Championship game or Super Bowl, I would not be surprised in the slightest. Not be surprised. Because Lamar Jackson has what the, what the all-time greats have. They don't care about they don't care about probability and chances of, of 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 winning a game and the fact that they may look out of it. Ravens win probability was as low as four percent, just with just over six minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. Win probability never exceeded over fifty percent until overtime when they received the ball to begin the overtime period. Brady doesn't care about about odds about winning the games. Think you think Brady cared that they were down twenty eight to three? He had it within his mindset, I'm winning this football game. I don't care what I don't care what the score is. I don't care what the what the little probability little math stat says. To hell with it. I'm winning this football game. And again, when Lamar Jackson takes over a football game, is it the same way how Brady takes over a football game? No. They're told they're too Polar opposites of each other when it comes to what, uh, when it comes to physically and their skill set, what makes them great. But they both share the one thing in common: Lamar, as Lamar, as you know, as of this season, and Brady all across, all throughout his entire illustrious uh, Hall of Fame NFL career. They have that mindset within them that when they're down, and when it looks like they're down for the count, they're not. If anything, light. Switches on inside of them. A fire gets lit underneath, underneath, underneath their hind parts, and they have that mindset. Gosh damn it! I'm taking over this game, and we're going to win it. And their entire teammates feed off of that energy. Lamar Jackson's the real deal. I'm going to have any no slander about him. Nothing. 37 of 43, 442 passing yards, four touchdowns. He won this game with his arm. Period. Chief game was a little bit of both. He made play and when he when there was plays he made with his legs. He made it with his legs. You know, the Chief game it was kind of balanced 50-50. He didn't necessarily, you know, blow up the stat sheet, you know, on one side of the football, you know, running the football or passing it. This game he took it over with his arm. And oh, by the way, he only made one. I got to had a stat here. He only attempted one pass outside of the pocket. So if you guys have been, you know, pocket passer, you know, can he make plays, you know, pass it from the pocket? He did. 335 passing yards in the second half. That's 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 the most passing yards he's had in any regular season game of his career, just in one half, and he only attempted one pass from outside the pocket, one. Second 400-yard pass game in Ravens franchise history. Mark Andrews, who I previously mentioned, caught two point 
who caught two two-point conversion scores, career high in receptions and receiving yards, single-game franchise record for receiving yards and tied in by tied in in Ravens history. Hollywood Brown, career high in receptions, nine receptions, 125, like I mentioned, caught the game-winning touchdown pass. Uh, just a little quick, a little note for the Ravens under Harbaugh. Ravens are 17 and two at home primetime games. That's that's the NFL's best winning percentage in the sport. Most recent loss, of course, was the uh, was the chief was the um, was the uh, was the uh, chief Monday night game last season. And I don't know if they gonna if they count that if they're counting that um, if they're counting that uh, Titan playoff game loss or not. But if so, there's your second loss. Ravens have won 15 out of the last home primetime games. And that's also the Ravens' largest fourth-quarter comeback since 2003. And like I said, he absolutely destroyed the Colts' defense, which absolutely imploded on themselves in the second half. And Lamar Jackson, 86% completion percentage. That's the highest completion percentage of throwing 40 or more passing attempts in NFL history. First player in NFL history with 400 passing yards and 85 completion percentage in a single game. And he, by himself, accounted for 499 of the Ravens' 523 offensive yards in the game. As for the Colts, like I said, defense imploded. Carson Wentz had a hell of a game, but couldn't deliver the goods when the Colts needed them the most. Granted, they did. Granted, they did take advantage of the fact that that the Ravens had a uh, had a had a uh, personal foul called on them, and it wasn't uh, Wentz's fault that Blankenship couldn't make a 37-yard field goal. But the Colts were 200, 120 and 0 when having a 16-plus point lead heading into the fourth quarter. Ravens handed them their first loss. Um, Lamar also fifth. He's fifth in the NFL in passing, eighth in rushing this season. He has more passing yards than Kyler Murray, Mahomes, Rodgers, Josh Allen. Think about that for a minute. And more rushing yards than Jonathan Taylor, Antonio Gibson, Miles Sanders, and Aaron Jones. Lamar Jackson is the real freaking deal. Real deal. Now, if he, God forbid, and I don't want the, unless they're playing the Bengals in a playoff game, I don't want this to happen. But if they implode in a playoff game, you know, I, I'll be able, I'll critique them, I'll criticize them, and I will say when I'm wrong, and I, I will do that. But. I, a, I don't think that when the Ravens do make the playoffs that they, that, that will happen. And two, I'm not going to speak on what's yet to happen that's a few months down the road later in the future. I'm speaking on what I'm seeing right now. What I'm seeing right now is a Mark Jackson playing out of his mind type football making the, he the deep ball the deep ball that he threw down the right sideline to it to uh Hollywood Brown was had beautiful touch on the ball didn't overthrow him didn't underthrow him hit him perfectly in stride he's he knows what he's his uh he's throwing you know and many of passes that he threw in the game in which he needed to keep drives alive on on third and longs and plays like that you know passes to Mark Andrews in the middle of the field throwing that Brett Favre that 
gunslinger that that that's throwing a seed through a tight window. He hit him perfectly right in between the numbers. Made made many a beautiful perfect throws uh, in the in the second half on Monday night, and you know bought time. You know when the play broke down, he didn't. You know you saw especially on that touchdown prior to two point conversion, he didn't. You know try to well the play's not there. Let me tuck it and run. He didn't do any of that. He bought his time. You know had a clean pocket. He waited. He waited. He waited. He looked. He looked. He looked. He looked. Threw it. To, threw it. Threw it into the end zone. Caught touchdown. Ravens go within two of tying up the game. That is what championship quarterbacks are made of. Okay. They they have that Brady Montana intangible to them. And if Lamar Jackson keeps it up and doesn't and and stays on the right pathway. He's going to go down as one, as one of the game's all-time greats who's going to have a few Super Bowl rings. Because, again, you know, does he, the, are, is his physical skill set like Brady's? Absolutely not. But what makes the all-time greats is that will to win and that mindset that I'm not going to quit and I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm a fight until the I'm a fight until the clock says I can't fight anymore, and I'm a single-handed and I'm put my team on my back, and I will do whatever I can to make sure that my team wins this game. And the all-time greats, the Super Bowl-winning quarterbacks, the quarterbacks who have their head busts in Canton, Ohio, as we speak, do that and have that quality and have that intangible with them. And Lamar Jackson looks like he has that as well. Now, people say he's not going to last because of how he plays the game. I disagree. I think what you're going to see is that if Lamar Jackson is going to get to a certain point in his career, we won't depend on running the football as much, and he'll essentially become what you see Russell Wilson. You know, Russell, Russell, Russell Wilson has lasted. My father compares Kyler Murray to Russell Wilson all the time. Those quarterbacks, you know, Russell Wilson's lasted, has lasted, this is 10th season in the league. And he's going to play another five years, you know, at minimum. Kyler Murray's going to be a stud in this league. Lamar Jackson going to be a stud in this league. Phenomenal, phenomenal comeback for the Baltimore Ravens. Phenomenal. You know, that their offense was asleep at the wheel. And uh, then I don't know what, what, where their defense was. It wasn't at M&T Bank Stadium in, in, you know, through three quarters. That was for sure. But, but they made the plays. They made the stops when it mattered most. And that's what separates championship teams from the very good playoff teams. Is that right there. And another quick item of note, and I tweeted this out on my Twitter uh, account at the J Shield, uh, going to you know, it's wrapping up the whole theme of Week Five. You know, yesterday was the longest day of NFL football, the longest NFL Sunday in the last fifty years. the The NFL Sunday began at nine o'clock in the morning um, for the Jets for the Jets Falcons game over there in London. And it did not wrap up till about a quarter to one, with the Bills Chiefs game being delayed an hour, um, being delayed an hour because of the thunderstorms there. The entire NFL football Sunday 
15 hours and one minute from London kickoff to the end of Sunday night. 702 points scored, over 10, 10, 10 and a half thousand yards, 80 touchdowns, 11 missed field goals, 11 missed extra points. That's also a record for the most since, I believe, since 2015. I believe since 2015. And five games decided in the final three minutes of regulation slash overtime. So, 13, actually, check that. 13th miss PAT of the week. So, check that. 25th, so that was 25 missed field goals. 25 missed field goals in week five. uh, And uh, 13th missed PAT. Most in a week since week 11 of 1987. Ridiculous. Field goal kickers couldn't kick. You know, you had wild and crazy games all over the place. Scoring a bunch. Your ref ball. Just another average weekend in the National Football League. Take a break. We'll get to some baseball. ALDS and NLDS. Get into that. Talks and postseason baseball coming up right after this. Welcome back to the Umtelica TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the Major League Baseball postseason. Um, as uh, we get, have some housekeeping items to get to as far as the ALDS and NLDS is concerned. Um, two, well, really, uh, no, yeah, three teams have moved on since the last time we chatted. The Boston Red Sox advanced to the ALCS. The Astros will join them, uh, having beaten the White Sox on uh, Tuesday afternoon by the final score of 10-1. to one. Uh, The Braves advanced, beating the Brewers uh, 5-4. to four. And we got Giants-Dodgers Game 5 on Thursday night, um, but uh, let's just go in order here with the Red Sox, uh, in which they had an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal uh, last three games against the uh, against the Tampa Bay Rays, it's dating back to on Friday where they took care of business and absolutely stomped all over the uh, stomped all over. The uh, Rays, after they had a five-run first inning, including a grand slam, including a grand slam uh, by Luplo, or uh, in the bo- in that five-run bottom of the first inning in Game Two, and the Red Sox apparently that that was all the offense that the Rays could muster. They only scored one run in the bottom of the sixth, and they went off having a two-run third inning, four-run fifth inning, then scoring a, and scoring at least one run in the seventh, eighth, and ninth with a two-run eighth inning and a three-run ninth inning winning the game by the final score of 14 to 6 and then you fast forward to Sunday as the game hits the Fenway Park an absolute classic uh, game three in on in Fenway on Sunday afternoon, heading into Sunday night, as Christian Vasquez hits a walk off home run in the bottom of the thirteenth inning to win the game six to four, um, and this was all because Kevin Kiermeyer hit a ball into right center field that hit the that hit the base of the wall, hit, bounced off of the warning track, hit the uh, right fielder Hunter Renfro on the thigh and went over the wall, which apparently by MLB rule. Uh, was ruled a ground rule double 
uh, due to the which was root to the ground rule double by rule, uh, which negated the uh, which negated the runner which should have scored and in all objectivity and all estimation should have scored, um, but instead the run instead Kiermaier was stopped at second base. His runners on second and third with I believe only one out, and the Rays could not get the two runs home to put themselves out out in front at the top of the thirteenth. And lo and behold, I ended up tweeting, "Watch the Red Sox in the bottom half of this thirteenth." and end up winning the game and show enough uh, Christian Vasquez sits a walk off two run home run over the uh, green monster wall to take a 2-1 series lead for Boston the rule is rule 5.05 rule 5.05 a um, dash uh, section 8 any bounding fair ball that is deflected by the fielder into the stands or over or under a fence in fair or foul territory, the batter and all runners should be entitled to advance two bases. So the runner was on first base easily and should have scored if it was up to the umpire's objectivity or up to the umpire's discretion, not necessarily letter of the law. The run would have scored. It would have been five. It would have been uh, what five four. Tampa and Kevin Kiermaier would have been standing uh, at second base with Tampa up by one. But instead, the runner got stopped at third base. Kiermaier stayed at second, and the Rays couldn't get anything done at the top of the 13th. You know, and I tweeted that out as well on, on Sunday. I said the Rays essentially are a victim of a crappy garbage rule that was correctly enforced by the umpires at the worst, most inconvenient possible time. You know, it, it, like like the uh, like the Browns against Kansas City back in January with that stupid touchback through the end zone rule. That's essentially that that's essentially the touchback through the end zone rule in baseball. You're going to award you're going to award the fielder for misplaying for misplaying. The, you're going to punish you're going to punish the offense, punish the base runners, punish the batter because of, because of the uh, because of the outfielder's own incompetence of letting the ball ricochet off the ground off his body and over the right field wall. That that's a, that's a rule that has to be changed. We'll see if it ends up being changed come next season. But that game especially um, was tremendously, tremendously, tremendously long. Think about this for a minute. That game started at four o'clock in the afternoon on a, on a, on Sunday afternoon. Started at started at four o'clock in the first pitch was at four o nine, and the game lasted five hours and fourteen minutes. That game started when Mason Crosby and Evan McPherson were exchanging missed field goals in the Bengals-Packer game. And by the time this Rays-Red Sox game ended, we had already completed the first of four quarters in Kansas City between the Bills and the Chiefs. I mean... And I understand it was a classic, fantastic edge of your edge of your seat baseball game, but five hours and fourteen minutes for a baseball game that only goes thirteen innings is 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 is, is too long. Okay, if, if it was four hours and it went thirteen minute thirteen innings, fine. Five fourteen to is too long. I'm sorry. I understand it's postseason playoff baseball, but it's too long. NBA playoff games. Now, when you complain about the NBA starting, now the NBA and baseball starting times are essentially their, you know, their two peas in the same pod when it comes to not starting the games at the right time of night. 
But, but you know, the basketball game, NBA playoff games don't have you. I mean, they have you up late if the game starts late, but they're not long. Football playoff games, they can at, at times appear long. But it, but it, you know, they can appear long. But it's but those games are typically not. They don't. NFL playoff games typically don't have you up until well into the wee hours of the uh, of the night or late into the night. You know, so if they, if they do veer long and if they do, it's few and far. But it's just too long. You know that game again. That game started when the Packers and the Bengals game that started three hours prior was still yet to be completed with Mason Crosby and Evan McPherson exchanging missed field goal kicks while the um while the four o'clock games that was you know the Browns the Browns and the and the Chargers had just kicked off the um, I'm trying to think of the other game that was on CBS. The Bears and the Raiders had just kicked off by the time this game started. And by the time this game finished, we were already through one quarter of play in the Bills-Chiefs game. And I don't know it. I'm just I'm making an, edu- an educated guess. But I bet you that the Packers were, were in Green Bay, for, were back in Green Bay for a good minute by the time that this game completed. And by, and when this and when this game started, they were still they were still competing in a game in Cincinnati. Tremendous game, don't get me wrong, but way too long, way too way, way too long. Game game starts at four o'clock in the afternoon and doesn't and doesn't end until until going on nine thirty at night. I mean that that that's ridiculous. That's that, uh, and I understand that they went thirteen innings, but that that's 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 a little much. And the same thing with the White Sox uh, Astros game later that the White Sox Astros game later that night. You know, you know that that game started. First pitch of that game was at um, was at seven was at uh, seven oh eight local time, so eight oh eight so eight oh eight East Coast time. That game started at eight oh eight. Lasted four hours and twenty-seven minutes, then until after midnight. Translation: This game started a full twelve minutes, roughly, before the Bills and the Chiefs game did. Started twelve minutes earlier than the Bills and Chiefs. The Bills and Chiefs game had an hour rain delay at halftime, so that's twelve hours plus another hour on top of it. Where where if it's a race, the you know. It's you know one person is stuck in neutral while the other person in the race is still going forward. Yet somehow, some way, the Bills Chiefs game that started 18 minutes later and had an hour lightning slash rain delay during the game still managed to end before the Astro before the White Sox got all all three outs in the bottom of the ninth inning in the wee hours of Monday morning. Games are too long, too long, you know. With with the micromanaging of the bullpen and and the extra long commercial breaks because it's a nationally televised audience because because it's the playoffs. It's just it's too long. I understand if you're a fan of a team that's got skin in the game. If you're a diehard Astro, diehard White Sox, diehard uh, Red Sox, and if and if you are one, God bless you. A diehard a Tampa Bay Rays fan, a few of you out there that are, unless you're one of those, unless you're one of those uh, four f- fans of one of those four teams.
games. If you're watching it just as a neutral, a, you know, a neutral, uh, a neutral fan, it's it's tough to sit there and watch, you know, especially when especially when you, when you know when you can when you ha- when the temptation is there for you to say to hell with it, shut it off, and just watch football for the rest of the day. I mean, the games are just. What is it? They're too, they're too long. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know which one. The game's just too long. But the Red Sox advanced to the ALCS. A phenomenal job by them. They went out there Monday and won via walk-off again. Um, Kike Hernandez walk-off. Um, walk-off sacrifice fly. This is after I did not agree with, and I even tweeted it, why... Um, uh, Core was so trigger happy to take out uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, who had five solid three hits, six strikeout, two run uh, baseball. Why he was so trigger happy to take him out of the game and end up coming back to bite him because they both because the Red Sox bullpen, who had been taxed to the ninth, not dressed but taxed to hell and back, playing a five-hour, 13-inning game, the 13-inning game the day before, and then you know, it, uh, Cora is so trigger happy to get Rodriguez out of the game because he's so hell bent on going to his exhausted bullpen. Ends up ended up coming back to bite him. Uh, he took him out after five innings, and the Rays then. And it's funny how the Rays didn't start to generate any offense until after Cora took him out. They, they you know they scored two runs in a six, they scored two runs in a six, and they end up scoring two runs in the top of the eighth. But uh, thanks, but you know Alex Cora got let off the hook thanks to the genius of Kevin Cash, who took out Colin McHugh for some ungodly reason after two innings of solid uh, one-hit uh, work. Again, knowing good and full well that his bullpen was taxed dealing with that five-hour, 13-inning marathon from the night before, uh, goes in there and farts around with his stupid bullpen, brings in McClanahan, who only, who goes two-thirds innings of work, gets knocked around all over the ballpark, walks a batter, gives up five hits on five runs, including the home run to Rafael Devers in the third inning with two on and two out uh, in the bottom of the third. And then, you know, he screws around with his bullpen, and then he brings five, and then they bring in uh, Fierenson, uh with who to pitch uh, two-thirds of an inning, to pitch two-thirds of an inning. He gives up two hits and gives up the game-winning walk-off season-ending run with Kike Hernandez in the sack flying. I mean, it's back-to-back times now where Kevin Cash, and I understand he's a great manager, and, you know, he does, he knows to do more with less than anybody else in the sport, and they won over 100 games this season, this, that, and the other, and nobody anticipated them, at least I didn't, to be as good after the uh, just the huge letdown that they had in the World Series um, back last October, but the bottom line is that this is not a second uh, year in a row in the postseason where Kevin Cash's piss poor bullpen management has came back to has came back to bite to bite him and his team in the butt and ended and ended uh, their season. Took Snell out when he was cruising. Uh, took Snell out when he was cruising against the Dodgers, who couldn't hit their way out of a paper bag, and who shot in confidence was shot, and was like, "Oh boy, same old choking Dodgers in the World Series again." Gives the Dodgers life by taking Snell, by taking Snell out because of the third time through the order, analytics and all the other bull crap, and then he takes out uh, and he takes out McHugh, who had a nice solid two innings of work. 
common sense and the eyeball test tells you that, hey, I'm going to need him to at least get me to the fifth inning. You know, my bullpen was taxed. You know, we had a 13-inning, five-hour marathon game the night before. You know, let me, let me get a guy here that's going to eat up some innings and, you know, let me see if I can extend them as long as I possibly can and keep the Red Sox quiet as long as they possibly can. Because on Sunday afternoon slash Sunday night, the Rays use one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine pitchers in the game. Nine. Use nine pitchers on Sunday and you know, and they essentially man and they man and this is the problem that the analytics that the analytics and the numbers and the predictability factors and all this other nonsense. This is this is what gets you in trouble when you rely on when you rely on stuff like that, because 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 the, because that stuff, albeit it's it's good and it's proper use when it's in its time and its place and things like that. But it doesn't it doesn't factor into the fact that you played a that you played a thirteen inning five hour game the day before. It doesn't factor into the fact that the Red Sox aren't able to hit McHugh and you might need him to, to gobble up some innings because you're playing for a for a do or die game five and you're playing for you're playing to win this game to set up a do or die game five at your place two days later. And what you want in a in a in, a, in an elimination playoff game is all hands on deck. So why? go out there even if you end up you know you win the game great but if you even if you win the game what good is it when everybody's text because you play you know because you played uh what uh, about 20 plus innings of baseball within a 24 to 36 hour period you know what benefit does that give you and again uh, it's it's uh kevin cash Screwing up with the bullpen and ends up costing him a season. I said it last October. I screamed the out. I say it again. Computers don't win you championships. People and common sense and the eyeball test does. When are the Rays ever going to get that message? Get that message through their head. But the Red Sox are a tough, gritty, gutty baseball team. If you would have told me that 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 this team that was a dead caucus and a strike and not the strike, but in the pandemic shortened season in 2020 and got swept by my, by my Baltimore Orioles the first uh, weekend of the new season and dropped through two of three when they came to Baltimore to play against my Orioles in in some do or die pennant chase pennant chase games in the final. Uh, days in the month of September. If you had told me they would have made it this far to the ALCS, I'd have called you crazy. What? What are you kidding me? This, this, this the Red Sox, really? But um, congratulations to them. All credit goes to them. All credit goes to Alex Cora, who's done a fantastic managerial job. As the Red Sox will go to the ALCS to play the Houston Astros, who took care of business. Uh, in four games on Tuesday, Astros beating the crap out of Chicago by the final score of ten to one. Uh, you know, game one of this game one of this series last Thursday, the Astros absolutely dominated Chicago and Lance Lynn, um, and then a, and then they turned around on Friday and the Houston took a 2-0 series lead, nine to four. White Sox not a factor, and then Sunday came along. You know, the Ast- the the White Sox is getting their first home playoff game in about thirteen years, and you'd figure. It'd be some life in the building and life amongst the. It was a uncharacteristically warm October night in Chicago. Had plenty of juice, 
plenty of energy, plenty of atmosphere, and the White Sox ended up destroying the destroying the Astros in that uh, four-hour marathon by the final score of uh, 12-6. And then, of course, you hear and then, of course, you hear some news um, regarding the Astros, and then a whistleblower for the White Sox comes out and says that the Astros are stealing signs again. You know, Ryan Tepper, the, uh, the White Sox pitcher, implies that the Astros may be stealing signs again. And we and, and you know what happens, you know, the Astros, who don't need any more motivation for going out there and trying to prove, that, prove to America that they can win despite the cheating scandal from 2017, what do they do? They go out there and game... Uh, Go out there in Game Four on Tuesday night and beat Chicago to a pulp by the final score of of, uh, of ten to one. I mean, it's just a phenomenal job by McCullers coming out of the coming out of the bullpen, uh, or excuse me, who started the game when four innings, gave up one run on five hits, struck out five, walked three back. I mean, any single time you rile up the rile up the the uh, Houston Astros, it always comes back to get you. And uh, and the and the and the Astros are the ones that always 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 end up getting the last laugh. And I got Tony Larusa screaming and yelling like old like uh like a senile old man yelling at clouds. You know who you know who wants the Astros to admit that they threw at at Jose Abreu intentionally. And uh you know when the game when the game's out of hand and their season is over, just to you know find extra bones to pick, an extra. Uh, uh, axes to grind against Houston and whatever bug they have up there fanning with the Astros. I mean, I'll shut up, LaRusso, will you please? I mean, he's sitting up here saying they should come out and not be cowards in the minute they were throwing at uh, Jose Abreu because he was one of the because he was one of the most hit batsmen throughout the throughout the season this year. I mean, Tony LaRusso, pipe down, pipe down, get on the golf course, go away. I'll see you in March of 2022, Tony. I mean, my goodness gracious, just. Shut up, take your L with class, and move on. My goodness gracious, much to do about nothing. Uh, but the Astros advance, the Red Sox advance, which should be an intriguing ALCS that will uh, begin on that will begin on Friday. I will talk more about that series coming up in the next episode later in the week. And of course, you have the National League. The Braves advance, an absolutely phenomenal job by them. Uh, back in game one on Friday, uh, not game, uh, I'm looking at the wrong thinking. Game one on Friday, they take care of business two to one, uh, or excuse me, the Brewers took care of business two one, take one the game two one in game one on Friday. You had Tellez in the seventh inning off of Charlie Morton with one on, hit the two run home run and ended up being the difference maker in the game. And then, if, and essentially, that was the uh, the uh, Milwaukee Brewers offensive highlight in the series because game two they got blanked three nothing the as the uh, Braves tied up the series at a game of peace and then and then on Monday after excuse me yeah Monday afternoon the Braves get or excuse me the Brewers get shut out for a second straight game in a row it's a series headed to uh, Cobb County down in Georgia and Jock Peterson gets the best of uh, gets the best of the Brewers again and they ended up winning that game with a three run bottom of the fifth inning by the final score of three to nothing on Monday afternoon and then turn and then turn around on a Tuesday the Brewers finally managed to score some, finally managed to score some offense but it all went for naught as Freddie Freeman's home run 
uh, in the bottom of the eighth inning off of uh, off of Josh Hader once again. Uh, this is you know this is the second time in about three years where Josh Hader has uh, picked the wrong time to give up to uh, throw the bad pitch that ended up costing the Brewers the season. Uh, and th- this is in the bottom of the eighth inning with uh, two out. And with uh, two out, and Freddie Freeman goes deep to put the Braves out on top and end up advancing them to their second straight National League Championship Series. Give the Braves all the credit in the world. No Roberto, no Roberto Osuna with the domestic violence issues early in the season. You lost uh, Roberto Acuna, Acuna Jr. Uh, with the torn ACL back in August, and this team had, didn't make any excuses for themselves. They didn't quit. They didn't give up on each other. And get it, give up on their manager, uh, Brian Snitker. They just put their head down, pedal to the metal, and essentially out hit the Brewers in this series. I understand that you know you make the point good pitching, you know, good pitching stops good hitting, especially in the postseason. And you know, if you have great pitching, odds are you're going to win a championship. But but there's a caveat to that is that you know a great pitching is going to eventually falter and it's not going to be perfect all the time and it's going to come back to bite you when you're all, when your bats you know one through eight in the National League's case can't muster up any runs and can't generate some offense. So not only does great and excellent pitching win you championships and win your games in October baseball, but also the but also the timely hitting and the Braves had had plenty. Plenty, 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 plenty of timely hitting throughout this series with Freddie Freeman's bottom of the eighth inning go-ahead home run being uh, example, uh, being example uh, A on Tuesday night. But the Braves end up winning this series in four games. They advance to the National League Championship Series and will await the winner of Game Five between the Giants and the Dodgers on Thursday night. Uh, this has been a this has been a fantastic series. You know, I, you figured and you and I predicted along with everybody else that the series would go to full five. It would go uh, the five games. Giants, uh, Giants blanked the Cardinals for nothing. Walker Buehler didn't have his best stuff. Webb, who who Webb in his first ever. Um, I believe this is his first ever postseason start, 24 years of age. Goes out there, seven and two-thirds innings pitch, five hits. Blanks the, blanks the Dodgers, strikes out ten. Uh, Walker Buehler did not have his best stuff that night. Uh, he went six and a... I mean, he won terrible, but, you know, couldn't touch Webb. Six and a third, six hits, three runs. Walked the batter, struck out five, gave up two home runs in a game. And then, of course, you fast forward uh, to game two on Saturday night. Uh, the Dodgers win and Dodgers win uh, in a blowout nine two. Uh, Ramon, uh, not Ramon, Julio, excuse me, Urias goes out and throws a five throws a adding a uh, excuse me English guy five innings three hits a run strikes out five as the Dodge or excuse me as the Giants just didn't have it. Come Saturday night ties the series up at a game apiece. Day off Saturday. Fat, or excuse me, day off on Sunday. Fast forward to Monday. Uh, the uh, Giants beat the Dodgers in the first game of this series in Dodger Stadium in Game 3 as the series goes south to a windy and uncharacteristically chilly Chavez Ravine as the, as the Giants ended up winning the game one nothing in an absolute uh, old-fashioned 
uh, pitchers duel with the only excuse me with the only run of the game uh, that being a home run a solo home run in the top of the, in the excuse me in the top of the fifth inning off of Max Scherzer as the Giants took care of business and beat the Dodgers to take a two one series lead on Monday night and then fast and then go back, uh, to game four on Tuesday. Giants-Dodgers second game and last game of this series uh, in Dodger Stadium. Dodgers trying to make it, trying to make it uh, not their uh, 2021 season finale at Dodger Stadium. They took care of business, uh, winning game uh, four and extending the series to one more game, winning and beating the Dodgers by the final score of seven to two. Walker Bueller goes four and a third three hits, gives up a run, strikes out four. Joe Kelly comes in. Phenomenal job by him. Two thirds innings of work gives up gives up a hit, nothing else, and a phenomenal job by their by the back end of the bullpen. Blake Trinan gave up. Uh, Blake Trinan gave up a run, uh, but that's uh, but that's about it. You know, Gastall, Vessier, Bickford did a phenomenal job coming out of the bullpen. You had uh, Mookie Betts and Mookie Betts had a two for four night. Uh, Kai, or excuse me, Corey Seager went two for five. Uh, Justin Turner two for five. Uh, Will Smith went two for four in the game. Um, Betts hit a home run the fourth inning off of Garcia, and Smith uh, hit a home run that in the uh, eighth inning ended up being the coup de gras to the Giants for game four off of uh, McGee with one on one out in the bottom of the eighth inning set up which should be an absolute classic game five between these two hated rivals that have been playing each other for the better part of the last 100 years or so. So it should be a classic game five. No uh, postseason games on Wednesday. The only game on the docket uh, for baseball on Thursday. You get you get Julio Urias going up against um, Logan Webb who had the phenomenal game one performance. Uh, the week prior, the uh, less than a week prior to that, about uh, six days, pr- about six days before, in the game five, game starts at nine oh seven at night, which I do not like, which I'm not forced. The only game on the docket, you know, it, it would it kill you, you know, and it, the game is in San Francisco, it's not in L.A., and you know, so you don't have to deal with that crazy L.A. traffic getting out there to Dodger Stadium, which is outside of downtown Los Angeles. You know, be a start the game. Start the game at eight o'clock at night. So if it's an absolute, uh, so if the game, God forbid, does go four hours, you know, it ends. It ends a little after midnight, not going on one o'clock in the morning. You know, two three hours after. You know, uh, Brady has. Uh, Brady has. Uh, you know, celebrated in the locker room with Antonio Brown, uh, playoff Lenny, and uh, Mike Evans and the boys up in Philly. You know, start the game. On at eight, start the game at eight o'clock at night. Major League Baseball, what he plays. It's a do or die game five. Big time rivalry. Rivalry, you know nothing. You know it's 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 a bigger game than Bucks Eagles. Bigger than any you know game game two or game three of the long treacherous NHL season. NBA hasn't started. NBA regular season hasn't started yet. You know put the game on at eight o'clock at night. Have it go. You know have it. You know start about twenty minutes, half hour before the Bucks Eagles game. Put the game on at eight o'clock at night so we all can stay up and, and see. It and watch it in case it does go four and a half hours, an absolute thrilling classic, which I anticipate it to be. Um, I think that you know the first to score three runs is the first team to score three runs is going to win this game. That's just how I feel. I feel it's going to be a, a pitcher's duel late. 
you know, you know, it, it's going to be the battle of Webb and Reyes. You know, whichever whichever uh, starter gets pulled uh, gets pulled first. You know, that's going to be the first sign of life, and that's going to be the first little uh, little. Substantial boost of confidence that would that the uh, that either one of the two teams would get. You know who who cracks first, who gives up the uh, the big hit, the costly hit, the costly run, who makes the costly mistake first, Urias or Webb. That could be the deciding factor of whose season ends on Thursday night and whose season lives to see another uh, forty-eight hours and uh, and prepares to play. You know if the if the Dodgers win, prepare to hop on a plane. And now they shouldn't because the Dodgers went over 100 games. But if the Dodgers win, you know, prepare to hop on a plane and fly eastward to Atlanta for game one of the NLCS on Saturday night. And if the Dodgers win, prepare to uh, enjoy a uh, peaceful, four, uh, you know, enjoy a nice day off. And then 48 hours later, they'll be preparing to welcome in the Braves for game one of the NLCS come in the latter evening moments of uh Saturday night for game one of the NLCS. But that is your uh, postseason baseball. Get that out the way. I will get to John Gruden and that fiasco to wrap up the program. This is the Amtelicatias podcast on Stitcher, uh, Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Back after this. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Ending the show with uh, one of the biggest news in sports uh, so far this week, and that is the fact that uh, Las Vegas Raiders coach John Gruden on Monday night during Monday Night Football, ironically enough, decided to step down uh, from his position in the aftermath of of uh, the emails being leaked courtesy of uh, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and uh and uh, sources of that nature uh, was leaked of him uh, with with uh, first off uh, voicing his displeasure and his frustrations through emails um, from the 2011 uh, NFL slash Players Association strike that occurred 10 years ago and all throughout a seven year period until he was hired to be the Las Vegas Raiders coach for the second time. Um, uh, and he got, and the emails were cra- were flagged, and they were leaked. He he said that uh, Demora Smith, the head of the NFL Players Association, he said that he's got lips the size of Michelin tires, which obviously is a very very racist thing to say. You know, if you if you can't see it, if you if you think otherwise, wake up and smell the coffee and pay attention. You know, making fun of black people and the size and the fullness of their lips has been a uh, has been a go-to for white Americans when it comes to insulting people of my kind and my color, you know, for hundreds of years. If you think not, go read a book somewhere, um, which, uh, you know, you had that. And then it was leaked later on Monday that he had called the, uh, that he'd called Roger Goodell an anti-football P-word. He had called, you know, he had went off about, uh, uh, 
He called Rajgir Dell the F word, the gay slur, you know, the gay slur beginning with an F. You fill in the blank there. He got on Jeff Fisher saying, you know, how the league and got on Fisher and he got on Goodell for pushing for, I guess, pushing an agenda of drafting Michael Sam back in 24, back in 2014. He ripped Fisher. He ripped Goodell. He, um, he, uh, he, he said how he said how he, you know, he was, he was against the idea of, of uh, female referees, a la Sarah Thomas, who refereed the Super Bowl back in February, uh, was against female referees, was against, you know, said that Eric Reed, who was a confidant with Colin Kaepernick when he was kneeling during the national anthem, said he, said he and, and anyone else who, uh, who, uh, who's along his, you know, who protests with him should be fired, a la uh, Donald Trump back in September 2017, and the huge firestorm that that was. And all that came to light, came out of the darkness, came into light, and John Gruden had no choice but to resign uh, from his post as a coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Here's my uh, couple cents on it. Here's my two cents on it, and it's a multifaceted approach as we close out this program. Um, first off, John Gruden should have never been allowed to coach on Sunday for the Ra- during the Raiders during their game against um, against uh, the Bears. Had should have never have coached. And the fact, and I heard this and I read this, that Mark Davis essentially knew about all the emails. The public, me and you, only knew about what he said about the Morris Smith. But he had the emails of what of what he said about the Morris Smith, what, he's, what his opinion on female referees, his opinion on homosexual players for the NFL, his vulgar... Uh, demonstrative insults towards Goodell and Jeff Fisher. He, he had all of that. All of that. And he somehow, someway, Mark Davis allowed John Gruden to coach on Sunday, which which is an absolute disgrace. If he knew all of this and knew what the heck was going on and had an idea and had a clue, why in the world was John Gruden allowed to coach the Raiders in their game against the Chicago Bears on Sunday afternoon a few days ago. That's the first thing. Second, and and and, his, and he and he would have done his team a favor because his team was flat as a pancake, and and they were lethargic, uh, uninspired, and were boring and dull as all get out against the hapless Chicago Bears. That's I'm number one. I'm number two for all you people out there that are sitting up here saying on social media, well, you can't, well, the world's gone completely sensitive. You can't do anything. Cancel culture this, cancel culture that. There is there is a line, albeit it's a fine line, that gets blurred many a time. There is a fine line between cancel culture and accountability. John Gruden is not a victim of cancel culture. He's a victim, if you want to call it that, quote-unquote. He is a victim or a casualty of being held responsible and being held accountable for his piss-poor actions and decisions that have came back to bite him in the ass and the chickens have now come home to roost for Gruden and the emails that he sent with Bruce Allen. 
It's a fine line. And it gets blurred and it gets misconstrued a bunch of times. And does in this day and age, are we too quick to cancel somebody and too quick to get rid of somebody if they don't, if we don't agree with what they say or what they do? Absolutely. But and when it comes to circumstance, when it comes to dealing with people who are racist, who are sexist, who are misogynistic, things of that nature, it's not canceling. It's called being it's called holding someone accountable for their actions. You heard you John Gruden made his bed with those emails all those years ago, dating as far back as ten years ago. The chickens have come home to roost and he's gotta pay the piper and he's gotta lay and he's gotta lay in the bed that he made. Doesn't like it? Tough. Should have never have sent the emails out there in the first place. Tough. Tough. Get what you get and you don't get upset. Don't get mad at the people for finding Gruden out. Get upset with Gruden for being dumb enough to put that stuff into the ether. It's not cancel culture, it's accountability. That's the second thing. Third thing. If you think that... And Gruden and everybody else... Gruden especially had the mindset that he was going to walk and was going to survive the DeMory Smith thing which was a thing for like a few days and thought that he was going to walk and thought he was going to survive it. The coup de grace for John Gruden be, no longer being the head coach of the Vegas Raiders is the fact that he insulted Goodell, which is blasphemy amongst NFL owners and NFL constituency in the league, insulting Goodell, and he disrespected and insulted the gay community. That was the coup de grace to John Gruden's career. If you think not, you don't know what you're talking about, you're naive and you're not paying attention. Because ironically enough, all the controversy that Dave Chappelle's got himself caught up in, wink, wink, in the last couple of days you've been paying attention, will... Who looks right in this situation? You know? I mean, let, let, let's call a spade a spade and call it like we see it. You shoot. You shoot somebody. You assault somebody. You insult black people. It's the, it, it gets debated. It's, it gets analyzed it gets constructed it gets well maybe he didn't say this that and the you know it gets you know you, you you can you can split as many hairs as you want to until the cows come home but the second and the moment and I'm not saying that it should be acceptable among society but it's just the way it is the moment you say something insulting or disparaging about the LGBT community, you're finished. And that's the double standard that Dave Chappelle was talking about in the special. Not to get off track and not to get off subject, but it conveniently relates to this John Gruden situation. He says, D. Maurice Smith has lips the size of Michelin tires, which is a racist trope that he used. He's allowed to coach on Sunday and... It's 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 made an issue 
but it's not made a tremendous deal. Calls calls Roger Goodell the F word and mentions the F word and 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 says queer in his emails. He gets shipped out the door, and then and people are screaming and yelling. You know, Dave Chappelle, this Dave Chappelle, that Dave Chappelle was right. If you fake not, you don't know what you're talking about. You're, na- you're naive and you're stupid. There is a double standard that shouldn't exist, but it does. Where if you insult your fellow, where if you cause hurt and pain to your other man, a la the baby with shooting somebody in Walmart, like the like uh, Chappelle referred to in his stand-up special, or you make a racial. Or you say a racist trope, a la what Gruden said with Smith making fun of the size of his lips. It gets debated, it gets analyzed, and you start and you, and you split hairs and you start debating, you know, or you start sitting up here and, and trying to justify or make light of what he said. Well, he didn't mean this, you know. He, he, you know, if he apologizes enough times and goes through the training, you know, he'll live. You start rationalizing it, but the second you come after. The gay community, you're done. And that's what Dave Chappelle was talking about, and that's why Dave Chappelle is right. Again, not to get off the beaten path, but it relates to this situation. He's a thousand percent right. Gay people, black people, they get insulted, called everything but a child of God. It gets the, you know, it gets, you start splitting, you start trying to split the atom on the issue. Same person. Or a different person does the same thing, but towards gay people, they're automatically out the door, no questions asked. And that is an issue. That's that's the fourth thing. Fifth thing, Gruden tarnished the Raiders' great reputation when it came to inclusion. You know, Al Davis, who was a revolutionary, who was a maverick, who... who uh, was made famous during the uh, glory days of his ownership of the Raiders for, you know, for for being different. You know, had had Art Shell, Mark uh, Mark Jackson, Hugh Jackson as head coaches of his franchises. Uh, uh, had Tom Flores, Hispanic head coach. Won them, a, won them a few Super Bowls. Amy Trask, the first ever, I believe, first ever CEO in the history of the National Football League. So the Raiders have been one of the more progressive organizations in the NFL when it comes to inclusion amongst blacks and women. The two groups of people that Gruden offended in these emails. And oh, by the way, they have a player on their roster and Carl Nassib, the first openly gay player in the NFL as of as of October of 2021. And Gruden took essentially took Al Davis's legacy of being one of the more inclusive, uh, progressive workplaces in sports. And essentially urinated on it, allowing the emails. Now I understand and I get it that those emails were released, and he wasn't working for the Raiders at the time. But still, it, it, John Gruden, uh, John Gruden in 2011 is the same John Gruden of uh, of of, uh, of Sunday. It's 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 still the same human being. Tarnish it. 
and pissed all over it. And if you're Mark Davis, who, for whatever the reason, like I said, how in the world was Gruden allowed to coach on Sunday? I will never, ever understand. And it was an absolute disgrace that he was on the sideline on Sunday coaching the Raiders against the Bears. And Mark Davis knew good and full well of not just the first little emails that we knew about with Demora Smith, but all of the emails when it came to when he, when his attacks on the gays, not wanting women referees, what he said about Eric Reed kneeling for the national anthem, which which you know which you know, which which is in, which is insensitive. Some may take it as racist, and it's entirely inappropriate for him to say. Knew all of that. And yet somehow, some reason, had no spine, had no backbone, had no guts, had no cojones, had no integrity to stand up to Gruden, put their little buddy-buddy kinship aside and say, Hey, John, we cannot have you on the sideline you know, with all this stuff that I've been informed about from the league office. We, 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 we can't have you coach on Sunday. You just can't have it. Our roster, our roster is 70, 80-ish percent black. We got a gay player on this on this football team. We, we we can't we can't have that. We got we got female referees in the sport, plus the plus the great legacy that my father that my father uh, uh, created in the history of this franchise. We can't have that. And he didn't do it, which is which is a disgrace. Because, because, because I, I tell you something right now, I don't think, taking an educated guess, but I wouldn't think Mark Davis's father, Al, would stand for this. Wouldn't, wouldn't, st- wouldn't stand for it, wouldn't care for it. Yeah, Mark Davis, who's too busy with his head up, you know, too busy with his head up Gruden's ass, uh, is, 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 is blinded by the fact that, that, you know, that you can't have a man spewing spewing the levels of hate that he was in those emails coaching your football team. Should have been on the sideline on Sunday. Period. End of story. Especially when he knew good and well the context of every single one of those emails that was later leaked to the public uh, earlier this week. And that is a joke. Also, ESPN and the NFL come off as complete frauds and complete fraudulent phonies. You know, ESPN spent hours and hours and hours of television, you know, Sunday before the games and prior and at halftime of Monday night and prior to the Monday night game, giving their thoughts on Gruden. Well, who employed John Gruden at that time? One, the Raiders. It was ESPN. And nothing happened to him. Nothing was leaked, you know, to, to the ESPN office to say, hey, we got an employee speaking like this, you know, on on a on, on such and such as database, commute com, uh, conversing and 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 uh, and uh, in communication with a with an executive of one of and then of of an NFL franchise, and he's talking like this. Get him off Monday Night Football. Yet they spend hours and hours and hours of television, essentially disassociating themselves from Gruden when Gruden was working working for ESPN at the time that he said this heinous stuff. 
So I can't take ESPN seriously there. And also the NFL comes off as a bunch of phonies and a bunch of fraudulent, uh, pathetic frauds because they sit up there. They didn't act on Gruden. They knew about the DeMaurice Smith stuff. They knew about the emails that, that, that came to light on Monday. Again, if the Raiders and if Mark Davis didn't have enough intelligence and didn't have enough integrity to to put the hammer down on Gruden, the NFL should have stepped in and handled it for him and say, John, you're not coaching on Sunday. You're suspended indefinitely till further notice. Put you put you put on a league suspension list. You're not co- you're not coaching. You're not representing our league and representing one of our 32 franchises with this stuff floating around in you know in the news world and in the ether all over the internet, making us look like making us look bad, look, making us look like an east end of a westbound horse. You're not coaching Sunday. I don't care. That, I don't care if you've been you know you've been to practice all week. Your game plan. You're not coaching. You're not you're not coaching. You're not going anywhere near the team's facility. You stay home. And stay away from the team until further notice. You're suspended indefinitely. Not a single person in the NFL league office had the guts and had the cojones and had the common sense to step in and and, and, and show some gumption and, and to step in on this situation and tell Gruden to go kick rocks until this investigation is complete. Until until we until we find out more, until we figure out, you know, uh, like like my parents used to do, until they figured out what my punishment was. And the NFL did not do that, and that's a disgrace. All while they're giving us the football as bisexual, football as queer, football as gay ads on television, and giving us those and giving us those god awful passive aggressive. It takes all of the slogans all over the field, the back of the helmet, the helmet decals, the little patches on the side of the hats, the commercials, the and racism thing in the end zone. How am I supposed? How am I or any one of or any one of those minorities that you're trying to establish unity with? How are we supposed to take? You seriously when you're imp- when we when we didn't do a, a freaking thing over and about John Gruden. It's all lip service. You give me football is gay, football is bisexual, football is for everyone, you know, and racism. It takes all of us stuff to end injustice everywhere, and yet somebody in your own league who's calling who's calling another grown black man says he's got the lips the size of Michelin tires. Speaking against not wanting female referees and and, and and calling people queers and f words and all this sort of stuff, and yet and yet and yet will feed you lip service and give you the football as gay advertisement. The, it takes all of us garbage and the end racism on the end zones. Yet 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 when it yet when it came time for you guys to step in and show a sense of leadership and put the hammer down and 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 be the boss of the Raiders and say look look Mark Davis you you your buddy your coach we're sidelining we're sidelining him until further notice he ain't coaching with these emails uh, circulating all over the place enough out we're not having it and the NFL did not do that and that is an absolute disgrace. Don't sit up here. instead of wasting my time with the, it takes all of the stuff. The football is gay ads, the end racism stuff. Clean up your own league first, please. Had a chance to act and they did not do so. John Gruden bailed out the NFL and bailed out 
the Raiders because he had enough self-awareness to resign. He didn't try to fight it. When he had, when in his mind and in his eyes, he had every right to fight it because he knew either the NFL wasn't going to step in until they absolutely had to, and two, the Raiders were not going to fire him. Because he's buddy buddies with Mark Davis, and Mark Davis would have had to write out the rest of John Gruden's checks that he's owed for the next seven, six, five years or whatever it is. And again, with the NFL, who should be more preoccupied with cleaning up their league, whether it's the John Gruden's of the world, the Mark Davises who who let the John Gruden's of the world walk, the Jerry Richardson's of the world, the Jerry Joneses of the world, instead of instead of being preoccupied with playing the 17 game regular seasons, putting football games at nine o'clock in the morning in Germany and in London, England, and playing and making sure that you have your nice little TV deal done with ESPN, so we're play a Monday night football game for the next five years on ESPN and ABC, instead of them being so preoccupied and being so concerned and wrapped up in all of that gooberish nonsense, how about that the NFL owners and Goodell put all that to the side and say, look, we got to clean up our league. It's a mess. We, 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 we can't have this. We got to clean, we got to clean up our act. That's what's more important. Not playing games in Germany or putting playoff games on Monday Night Football so we can so we you know so an extra two and a half million people can watch our playoff games. And the league as a whole needs to stop defending their crooked, pathetic and nah I wouldn't say incompetent, but their crooked, pathetic, immoral, indecent Sneaky, conniving owners, i.e., put power aside, put money aside, and get rid of Daniel Snyder. Get rid of him. Leak the emails. Leak the emails and let's see and let's incriminate and get Dan Snyder out of the National Football League because he deserves to go. Now, while I will say and while I and what I will say on behalf of John Gruden that he deserved everything he got, I'm not crying a river for him. I don't feel sorry for him, but at the same time. It is, I feel, I have a, about a eighth of compassion, if you want to call it that for him, based on this premise. And it's only an eighth because he put himself in that predicament for him to, for him to get caught red-handed with his hand in the cookie jar. The investigation was about Bruce Allen and the Washington Redskins, now now Washington football team, and their toxic, nasty, disgusting work environment. Yet, John Gruden is the one that gets caught red-handed and has his life turned upside down and loses his job and everything else, as he rightfully should have. 
and I'm not feeling sorry for him. I'm not crying a river for him. Chickens came home to roost for him, and you deserve what you get. Actions have consequences. You made your bed, you got to lay in it. You heard your tune. You heard the tune. You got to pay the piper. But it is a crock of garbage that John Gruden is the fall guy for this foolishness. He gets fired. And essentially his entire reputation is forever tarnished. Yet Dan Snyder is still the owner of the team in Washington. Which which is which is which is an absolute disgrace. I understand two people are in positions of power, but one's an owner that has more influence over the league as a whole who is the head guy and is the boss of the entire organization. John Gruden is only responsible for the 53 guys that are on his roster in his locker room, along along with his assistant coaches. Dan Snyder supersedes everything. Signs everybody's paychecks. He's the one with the most money. And money is power, and he's got more power within the National Football League than John Gruden does. Yet John Gruden is the one that takes the fall for this. And yet Dan Snyder and the and the uh, despicable members of 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 that organization get to essentially, for the time being, for now, walk scot free, and nothing's happened to them. That's garbage. That's garbage. Gruden deserved everything he got handed to him. Everything. If he never coaches a football game again, that it's, it's consequences for his actions. I don't feel sorry for him. That's the way the cookie crumbles. But what I will say in a somewhat defense of Gruden is that it ain't right that he is the fall guy for this. He's the one that gets quote-unquote criminalized because of this. And yet the main guy who the investigation was meant to seek out and investigate, that being Dan Snyder, nothing, still nothing, has yet to happen to him. Gruden won't coach again. But Dan Snyder is still the owner of the Washington NFL franchise. And that is garbage. That's not right. That's not right. That's not fair. And it's it's just, it's just it's out of line and it's out of order. And what the NFL needs to do is that Dan Snyder is not no one person. And the league needs to make a precedent of this and needs to get this clear. No one person is bigger than the National Football League. Not no one player, not no one coach, and it should be no one owner. No one is bigger than the Shield. Especially an owner of a football team that has done nothing but lose since his tenure as the owner. I hate Jerry Jones, but Jerry Jones has won championships. His 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 team draws ratings when they, when you put him on television. 
that the most recognizable brand in the history of American sports. Washington is not. Jerry Jones doesn't. Jerry Jones didn't have didn't have all of didn't have America in a huge uproar over a name change. Jerry Jones, to our knowledge, you know, does isn't pimping out as cheerleaders at some at some off the map resort somewhere in the Caribbean. To our knowledge, and if there's anybody who deserves to be bigger than the NFL, it's Jerry Jones, it's Robert Kraft, it's the owners of the families that have owned NFL franchises for generations, out loud the Roonies in Pittsburgh, the Maras with the Giants. Now, no one owner should be bigger than the league. But if you were to pick an owner, or if there were, say, for the sake of conversation, an owner is to be bigger than the league, I gave you about four or five examples. Dan Snyder, who's done absolutely nothing in his during his tenure as, as the owner of the Washington Redskins slash football team, has done nothing but land his team in hot water off the field and has done nothing but lose and stick up the joint on the field. No one person is bigger than the NFL. And if Daniel Snyder has that much power within the league, that's an even bigger issue. Because he should not still be he should not still be owner of the of the Washington franchise and, and John Gruden gets canned. It should be both. Gruden canned and Snyder sells the team and is forced out, is voted out. Gruden should not be Gruden should not be out of the picture. Yet Daniel Snyder still walks, and Daniel Snyder is ten times more powerful within the National Football League than John Gruden is, based on position, based on wealth. That 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 should not be the case. But again, Gruden made his bed. He made his choices. He made his decisions, and he has to live with it, and he has to lay in lay in the bed that he made. And for everybody else that's sitting up there, you know, comparing it to domestic violence, well, you know, John Gruden this, that, and the other, but look at such and such. Why is such and such still allowed to play in the league after the domestic violence? Don't go there. Apples and oranges. Apples and oranges. You can't compare the two. And they're not one and the same. Don't go there. And if you do, and if you did want to go there, uh, my rebuttal will be this. Although I do not condone, nor like, nor want to see NFL players in trouble with the law, whether it be domestic violence issues or anything along those lines, they're they're, they're as long as they pay their debt to society if they get in trouble with the law and serve their suspension and serve their punishment with the league, as long as they didn't do anything crazy as try to kill anybody or rape anybody or anything else, as long as they serve their debt and they get held responsible for their actions, they want to play, fine. But at the same time, you can't compare players who, granted, 
have influence and have a little bit of power, but they aren't in a situation in Gruden's case where they are the head. It ain't by happenstance, happenstance why they call it the head coach. Where they're the head coach of a football team leading fifty three leading a team of fifty three men. Apples and oranges. Two different things. You can't have people in power, whether it's a football team, a basketball team, a hockey team, a soccer team, a baseball team, or in corporate America, you cannot have a person in a position of authority who writes down and has a bias within his heart and within his soul and within his mind against minorities group you know groups of of marginalized people blacks women gays can't have that can't have it a person in a sense of of authority and uh, and higher power you can't you can't have them sitting up here you know saying sexist saying sexist racist homophobic garbage can't have that you would you wouldn't you wouldn't you would not like to have it within a player, but you know you can you can cut a player, you know you you do you do the math you do the math fifty three times thirty two over that's that's over uh, sixteen hundred players in the NFL. There's only thirty two NFL head coaches. People in positions of power should be held to a higher standard than regular common folk. When you when you have a a significant amount of power with the position that you, in, within your job, you're called to a higher standard. You're called to behave and carry yourself in a different way than everybody else. And people have to realize that head coach, a head coach, a, a head coach in the National Football League of a franchise leading fifty-three men every single week can't be going around saying under his breath or emailing or texting his buddies, you know, I I hate, I, I do not want women officials in our league, or black men have the lips have the lip size of Michelin tires. Can't you know? Can't have that. Unacceptable. Can't have it. He's got Carl Nassib in his locker room, and he's in, and he's and he's spewing the f he's spewing the f word he's spewing the f word everywhere you look when it regards to uh, to Michael Sam and having gay players as a part of the NFL. You can't have that. Can't have it. And people need to realize that. There's my piece. Said my piece. Made my uh, thoughts known. Think of it what you wish. Good show today. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Amitalika TIS podcast. If you like what you heard and you're new to the program, please subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amitalik underscore podcast. And the show on Twitter at Amitel underscore it TIS. Enjoy Game 5 of Giants, Dodgers, and Thursday Night Football between the Eagles 
and the books. Talk to you later this week. Y'all take care.